Cunningham for another extraordinary message on Gill Athletics Connections. Well, welcome to the show. Uh. It's the goes to appreciate the coach, the ones who point people most. Every season needs a voice of reason, speaking the growth. You gotta prep for you carry the load. It's coffee to the soul for those of us who stay on the go. Proper handoff to stay in the zone. What you packing for the road? There's more than one way to the go. Take notes, that's paying your toll. It ain't practice if your purpose ain't clear. It can't happen till you listen with both ears. You can't mentor without a mentor's years of experience. You can reinvent those years. Every plan's got a stand to deliver up to. Enterprise sacrifice, can you give up you? It's a choice and a fight. Not a win or lose It's not a ploy but advice so y'all can make more moves It's not about how to, it's all about why You don't know till you know who you are inside Six million ways to tie Choose none so we all cross the finish line The work ain't done So we learn from the experts We all gotta put in the legwork Gill Athletics is a network It's all about connections Put together for the profession To every track coach could be the blessing All right, here we go once again on the Gill Athletics Track and Field Connections podcast. I'm going to bet that you have hit play. You already know who's the guest, so I think you are, you better be buckled in and ready for this. We're going to have a lot of fun. I don't know that you they know they, how they much in common. I guess. See, this is how it's going to be all show right here. I just know it because uh, I got someone with experience here. So let's just hop right into it. Thank you for being here. Help me welcome the wise no and wonderful from – from Opelika, Alabama. Help me welcome the wise and wonderful Ray Edwards. Ray, how are you, sir? Man, listen, I'm so I'm so wonderful. I can't even stand myself. I wake up hating myself sometimes. I get why people don't like me. I don't like me either sometimes. <laughs> because just it's just love, so good, or <laughs> I just I just love myself so much that sometimes I can't stand myself. Hey, that's you know, it's funny that you, you start off by saying that. That's really stinking important you know what i'm saying like you know our worst enemy sometimes is between our two ears we talk we talk worse to ourselves than other people talk about us sometimes so we've got to really work on our self-aware self-awareness and self uh self-worth that's that's really mm-hmm. important. i like mm-hmm. how you said that where, where does that not everybody has that where does that come from actually it comes from Believe it or not, my dad, which is the weirdest thing ever, because my dad always, me and my dad are, are, are super, super, super close, super tight. Awesome. And I like to always say that, you know, I feel like I was blessed, you know, coming from where I come from and coming from my culture that most people don't have their father, whatever. So anytime I get to talk about it, like my, my dad's my best friend, he actually looks just like me too. So I really got it from him because he was so arrogant but he was arrogant about himself like the way that he dressed the way that he you know would make sure that everything would be created i mean he's also a military man hmm. so the whole thing that he would always do he'd be like i don't need nobody to tell me happy birthday i tell myself i don't need anybody to give me a compliment i compliment myself i don't need anything from anybody else to tell me i look good i tell myself i look good and then he would just do that all the time and then my stepmom be like your dad's just so arrogant but it was like no I'm arrogant i'm confident yeah. And so I took that from him to where he would say stuff like, man, I'm I'm so I'm doing so good. I can't stand myself. So it's just like a, a thing that we have to where it's a self-reminder that we don't need anybody else to make us feel good. We yeah. we feel good because we decided to make ourselves feel good. So shout out to my dad for that. My dad actually gave me that. That's that's really awesome. And you know, 
coming from the same area, it's uh, sadly when you said your dad, I was like, oh, well, dad probably wasn't in the picture because my dad wasn't in the picture. Like when you said that, mm-hmm. I was like, I was like, oh, I, I'd never met my dad. So I'm like, where's this coming from? That's awesome. man. I love that. You, you are a, uh, you're kind of an enigma, I think, is what we're going to find out. Yes. You may think you know what you see. You may see what you think, you know, and then here's the real Ray. That's mm-hmm. that's why I wanted you on here. I wanted to find the real Ray Edwards, not TV Ray, not uh, athlete Ray. I want to know who Ray Edwards is. So I, I appreciate you starting off with a, a story like that. That's that's pretty awesome. Oh, no problem. No problem. Any, I'll tell you, anytime I get, anytime I get talk about that, man, I love that man. Oh. So that's just, that's just what it is. Was he a sprinter as well? Or I shouldn't say a sprinter. Yeah, was no, he a that track dude athlete? Was, that dude was sorry as hell. He didn't do nothing. <laughs> so you didn't get that genetically. <laughs> I didn't get that from him at all. Well, you know what? I, it's one of those things where my father was not an athlete, right? But for some unapparent reason, my father could beat me in everything. Like, I'm not making this up. Like, like my, my dad didn't play basketball, but when, when I played basketball, he went outside and, and he destroyed me. And I'm like, how in the hell is this possible? And this is like middle school. And then when I started playing basketball in high school, he bought another goal to put at the house. And then we were me and some friends outside playing basketball. He came outside, won again. So, I mean, it, it didn't matter. Even if it, only thing he could not beat me in is racing, of course. But outside of that, like, it, it did not matter. If, if if I wanted to go outside and play football and try football, my dad was about my size. But it was just weird that he was better than me and everything. But I was great. But he never did anything. He did no sports. My dad's a computer whiz. So, oh, wow. he, yeah, he's a nerd. He's a complete nerd. Hey, that's cool. I love that. I, nerd. nerd used to be like a, this disc, but now it's like, oh man, I wish I was a nerd. Like I wish I was more nerd on this and more nerd on that. I'd probably make more money that way, man. I love it. That's cool. Did you, so, you know, I knew you, you, you were a couple of years younger than me, not many years. What, what year did you graduate high school? 99. Yeah. Okay. So five years. I graduated in 94. So we, we grew up in kind of the same area. Well, we, what, you know, for anybody who's not in the area where Ray and I grew up, we call it the wire grass. It's Dothan, Opelika. Mm-hmm. Uh, so raised from Opelika. I went to Ufala high school and actually raced over in Opelika several times. Um, what was, I don't think people understand, especially during that time frame in that area, what it was like growing up. Can you kind of give us a picture of like, what was every day for you in high school in, in general? I mean, you know me, I like to be wide open with any show I do. It was, I'm just going to open up and say that high school was amazing for me. Um, nonetheless, being from, you know, Opelika, Alabama, and it being such a small town, you know, just like Opelika, just like Smith Station, just like Eufaula, you know, just like Beauregard, you know, Salem. All, all of our cities are just super, super, super small cities. But being able to travel the entire world, literally, it it brings me back to home and like high school days because what I thought was I would say poverty or whatnot was not poverty at all. Um, what I thought was you know things of, of nature in high school of we don't have this or we don't have that. I mean, as a city, you know, mm-hmm. not like as my family, like the entire city. Like, man, we only got two stoplights. But then when you get to travel the whole world, it's like. Damn, they have no stoplights. <laughs> like, like, you know, so, but for me, high school was weird because I went to two different high schools, you know, because I went to Opelika. Well, my freshman year, I was at Opelika. And then my sophomore year, I switched and went to Beauregard. And I was at Beauregard High School my sophomore year and half of my junior year. And I went back to Opelika. Um, no, let me get it started. Let me get it right. My freshman year of high school, I left and went to Beauregard in the middle of my freshman year. 
So I did the second half of my freshman year at Borgard High School and then my sophomore year at Borgard High School. But what happened when I was at Borgard was that's when I actually blossomed. And a, lot, a lot of people don't know that. Like, mm. I blossomed there. So when I did, my mom was like, okay, we got to get you back to Opelika. You know, because, you know, Borgard was like a 4A school. It wasn't a 6A mm. school. So when I got to Borgard, like, the, my freshman year of high school, I was running the 400. I wasn't even fast. I was, And I actually was only running track because uh, my girlfriend ran track, and she was a cheerleader. So two stories. I only ran while I joined the track team. And then so when I got to Borgard, my sophomore year, you know, I played football and was, you know, pretty decent football player. And then uh, the football coach, I played basketball, and he also was the track coach. So he was like, I wanted you to run track too. And I was like, I don't want to run a damn track. But anyway, I did it, you know, because Coach Wilson asked me to or whatever. And I never forget it. Uh, the first track meet we was in um was in uh Smith Station, actually, Smith Station. This is another Borgard, sophomore year. And they put me in the 200, and I was in lane one. Mind you, this is my first track meet ever. I've never ran track a day of my life. And it just so happened that I thought lane one was a good lane two. I was like, oh hell yeah, I got lane one. That's the best lane on the track. Stupid. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, I ended up winning, like, but I won the, I won the heat. And again, I'm, I know nothing about track and field. And Borgard wasn't, you know, a track t- school. So no. when I won the heat, it was like I had won state. Like, everybody was giving me high fives and all type of stuff. And it was like crazy. It was like, man, you won, you won. So I was like, okay, I won, I guess. So after that, I actually started, like, running and, like, not taking it serious, but going to track practice or whatnot. So what ended up happening was I kept winning and then i finally um i made it to area for Borgard, all right in the 100 and 200 and also our relay our relay made as well we had a pretty decent relay so after that you know my mom was like you know what you had a good football year out there you had a good basketball year out there you had a good track year out there i think you need to go back to the city now so i went back to opalaka my junior year um of high school and keep in mind, back in that time, I mean, we had people who were way faster than me. When we had Corey Larkin, we had Greg Knight, you know, we had Al Cole. We had all these people that I grew up with, you know, and I still hung out with still my friends, whatever. Right. And, oh, I got to tell you this story real fast. So while I'm at Borgard High School, the summer before I get back to Battle Black, nobody knew I was fast. I didn't know I was fast. So they had, we was at one of my friends' house hanging out, and everybody, you know, back then we really did street races. So we all went outside. This is in Borgard, middle of the street. And then I, I was like, I'm going to hop in the race. But nobody, it was the race between two other people, right, who was supposed to be fast. And so it was like seven of us, and I ended up winning the race. And then I remember it because Sean, the girl who was calling, she was like, no, nah, Ray won. And everybody's like, who? Ray? And I was like, who? Me? I won? Oh, okay. <laughs> all right. So, well, anyway, when I got back to Opelika, you know, and I jumped on the track team, Nobody expected nothing uh, at all whatsoever. Um, and so I didn't do much there because my board guard speed did not match 6A speed. Mm. So, you know, I still was, I mean, I was running like 11 flat, you know, nothing, nothing crazy. That's my junior year in high school. And then um, jumped to the senior year, I was at Auburn, uh, Auburn High School, the opening track meet. And then it was kind of, it was weird because it was like the voice of God, like, I was on the second leg of the relay. It was the first track meet ever. And then something was just like, pick your legs up and put them in front. And then use them like you're reeling somebody in. And then all of a sudden, like on that back stretch, I just caught everybody. 
And so when the relay was over with, everybody, it was like that same Borgo thing happened again. Open like everybody was like, man, you was moving. We didn't know you was that fast. And so then I ended up getting like um I ended up getting third in a hundred or whatever at that same track meet. And the 200 I wanted. I wanted the whole 200, you know. But in my mind, it was like something kept telling me, hey, pick you up, do this, do this, do this, put them in front. So it instantly went from overnight, like in high school, like I was nobody. And then all of a sudden, in one moment, I just got super, super, super fast. So high school changed. For, and then I'm telling that, that track story because high school changed for me at that moment. Like once people saw that, they didn't treat me the same. Like it, it elevated me in high school. I mean, even with teachers, like everything changed. It was like, hey, you know, hey, good job. You know, we heard about, you know, what you did at Auburn and everything. So I'm like, all right, cool. You know, then my, my girlfriend started getting jealous because I started having other girls talk to me, you know, like, like it just, it literally went from that was Ray, because Ray's always been a cool kid to like, no, that's, that's Ray. So at that point, high school, high school changed for me dramatically after I started running fast. You know, I love that you have that memory because a lot of times as we're progressing from, from, from wherever A to B does B doesn't have to be where you ended up in track and field. B could be uh 11 flat. They started 13 flat and went to 11 flat. Uh, they don't have the memory of how that progression happened. It's like, oh, I don't know. One day I was running 12.9, the next I ran 12.5 and then 12 and then 11, you know. But for you to have that memory of like this voice of God of like, hey, technique wise, get some more front side mechanics, you know, things like that. Like that's really, yeah. like that's really interesting. Like uh, I, I, one that just made me smile because I'm like, oh, I'm so I'm glad you have that memory because again, most of us don't have that type of memory. And then the change that happened in school because, you know, what you're describing there in that area from Opelika, Auburn, it, at least five years prior when I was there, you know, there was no track culture. I love how you talked about Beauregard, you know, track was just track. Like no one really, you know, it's fo football mm -hmm. is what ran, you know, yep. all the, all the things you hear about football yep. is King in Alabama is 100% true, at least yep. in the era that Ray and I were in the Wiregrass <laughs> area. So the only people that had a track culture when I was down there was Smith station coach evil sizer yep. yep. uh, over yep. there in Smith. Uh, you know, and, that's and they had the best track hundred percent. Uh, and, uh, and, and they just gotten that track when I was there, they didn't have a yep. track. So they came to our place cause we had a, we had just gotten a rubber, uh, rubber tire track. So when it was great mm -hmm. for the area. So Smith station used to come over every, you know, you know, the meets Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, every yep. stinking week. Uh, so Smith station would come over and kick our butt every single meet. Uh, but it's not fair to say that, only Smith Station had a culture because uh, who, who's my guy at Central Phoenix City? Um, Central Central had that. Central had well, I mean Central had it on football and track though. Correct, so, yeah, but but he had the, the coach there who's a Troy alum where I went to school uh, was also someone who had a, a track culture. Like oh, it, you mm -hmm. wanted to be good if you're on the track team. Where like you follow and I imagine probably Beauregard uh, and, and maybe to a degree at Opelika as well. It was like oh yeah, you know you do track, but. You know, it's okay football you is where it's at. Yeah, you're only, you're actually only doing track to be fast at football. Yeah, when spring practice. That's what we really <laughs> worried about. Yeah, exactly. So when did, as you were transitioning and now you become Ray, the, the sprinter, Ray, the fast guy, when did like really good marks start happening? Was that later in your senior year? Did it never happen? And it happened after Not high school? It, it was in my senior year. My senior year was like it. Well, I tell you, it was the most amazingest, craziest thing ever. Because like my my junior year, I didn't even make it to state <laughs> at all. <laughs> so I remember after the Auburn track meet, you know, I went out, went on down to Smith Station, and won that track meet. Um, and then uh, we had what was called the um, um, the meet of champions. Mm -hmm. 
And the Meet of Champions was down in Florida. And the Meet of Champions was, you know, you were invited, you know, the best or whatever from Alabama, Georgia, Florida, whatever. And so Coach Hoyette was like, we're going down there because, you know, um, our sprint medley relay was was pretty fast and our football was pretty fast. And so me and Corey Larkins both um was in the 100. Now, the funny thing is growing up, I got to tell you all this, growing up, Corey Larkins was the fastest person we had ever seen over like a high ever. Like when I say ever, like, Corey Larkins was the man. Like, football, you give him the football, he going on reverse 10 times, and I run everybody. Like, literally, he was known for speed, okay? So we get to this meet in Florida, and Casey Cumbest, okay? Right. Some people aren't going to know that name, but All Casey right. Cumbest was there. And Casey Cumbest, at that time, he had just won the U.S. Juniors in the 60s. So we didn't know. I, I didn't know who he was. Didn't care. He was a little scr- scrawny white boy. So anyway, Casey Cumbest ends up, dusting us he goes 10 and but it, it was weird because even now when i run track i had this ability to slow down time so when i saw him get out in front of everybody i was like okay i gotta go catch him like and so i missed to do what i was taught to do from out of space and i just started doing my trying to reel him in and stuff and he wasn't coming back but I was, and then he ended up running 10 0 in that race, though, right? Um, of course, back then, that, that track, I mean, it was hand time, but he ended up running 10 0 hand time. And then um, second place um, was a kid from Viger. Can't remember his name, but it kid from Viger. Um, and then I got third with 10 32. Hmm. And Corey Larkin ended up getting fourth. So I remember oh, after that was the, it was that was the after, fast guy. Yeah, that was a fast guy. He never lost to anybody, especially not in, in high school ever so at that point in time you know people like well he you know he's sore from from basketball he did you know people making excuses and then i remember we was uh we was on the bus and then coach hoyette was giving his his spiel and then he was like what y'all gonna have to do is y'all gonna have to give ray his respect because he came down here he ran a hell of a relay he ran a hell of a sprint medley and he got third at the media champions so it was at that moment to where when I got back to high school, everybody had already knew, you know, because by this time they started to follow me. They saw, And then, like, Corey just lost. That was unheard of. So right. now the whole city is like, what in the hell is going on? So me and Corey, when we was going to those races, though, um, we never battled each other. So when we got back, we had sectionals. You know, we had area, sectional, regional, whatever. And so this was the track meet that the entire city of Oblaka came out to see because everybody had heard about me from Auburn. They saw me at Auburn. They had heard about me when at, at uh, the Mid Champions, but they was like, but he still ain't faster than Corey. He can't be faster than Corey. They were everybody saying. It's not, so a, not, not believable. Point, <laughs> unbelievable. So then, and then Corey was out to prove that he wasn't. So when it came time for the hundred, uh, Everybody was up to watch me and him because it was pretty much me and him in the race, and the whole city's watching now. So now, now pause right there. I, mm-hmm. Two questions. One, what was Corey's reaction to you getting beat? Because sometimes you know that can be a, a, a ego deflator in the sense of like I shirk back, or it could be an ego deflator of I'm aggressive to you now, like we're no longer cool. But also on that same time, as you're you're setting the stage, this race. Did you understand the moment as well? It's easy to look back oh, now. Yeah. In the moment, did oh, you realize, like, okay, all right. 100 One of my best friends, um, his name was Greg Knight. Um, and he was he was he was the person that pushed me more than anything because 
everybody was still in Corey's corner. And then Greg was like, he was alone. He was like, he was like, bro, you can beat him, man. Like, you, like he just kept telling me, he was like, don't worry. He was the only person though at the track. The only person was like, you can beat him. I remember we rode to the track meet together in his dad's car, the white Honda. And then he was giving me a pep talk in the car. You know, he was like, man, this your chance. You know, I, I know you can beat him. You just got to show everybody else you can beat him. So, you know, Corey never had any type of animosity Toward me because he didn't believe it either. He was like, "I'm just I, something got to be wrong." <laughs> he like, "My legs got to be sore." <laughs> he was just like, "Ray, I don't know how the hell you beat me, but I don't know what's going on." So, at at that particular one, I actually was kind of nervous, um, before the hundred because we at this time we're in the middle of the season now, so all the kinks are out. Mm -hmm. Whatever you know, he ran the um, he ran his semifinal, won it. And he won it with like 10 and 8 or something. Then I, I ran my 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 heat, uh won it. So of course in the finals, we right next to each other. And then we he ended up beating me all up until 92 meters. And then the last eight, I just had a last little two, three to get in front of him. So it was it was, it was a close race or whatever. But at that so at that point in time, it was just like it still wasn't believed yet. Right. Everybody's like, Okay, well, Ray got lucky. Ray got lucky. Right. Ray got lucky. So then we had the 200 as well, though. And so at this point in time, I remember my uncle had came to me. He was just like ecstatic because he was like, man, you be core. You be core. Man, I can't believe you be core. And I was like, I can't believe it either, but we're going to see what's going to happen. <laughs> so then the 200 came up, and I remember he was core. After the 100, he had got mad, though, right? He got mad that he lost. So he didn't speak to me, nothing like that. And so I remember I was laying down and then I was I was contemplating running the 200. I was like, I don't know if I'm running this 200. And my uncle was like, man, you got to, nephew. So Corey had came by and then he kind of kicked me. Not not like not like on purpose, but like kicked me like, you know, whoop your ass in 200, right? Yeah. At that moment, it sparked everything for the rest of my career. <laughs> it sparked the rest of my career because it 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 ignited the flames. I was like, "You gonna do what?" Okay, and then I ended up beating him by like ten meters in the two hundred, oh. literally. And at that point, when I crossed the finish line, everybody was sold. It was like, "Can't nobody beat Ray." That and then the even Corey in the track me, he ended up coming up to me and giving me a dab. He was like, "I got to give you your credit, you know, like you 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 beat me, you know." I'm like, "Yeah, I appreciate that." And he never beat me again wow. <laughs> after that. I ended up winning state that same year. But Six I tell Corey to this day, I'm like, bro, if it wasn't for you, there would be no Ray Ellis. Because if you yeah. had not ignited me to beat you, I wouldn't have made to beat anybody. So, so, so you go from, did you make state your junior year? No. To winning state your senior year. Yeah. That that's and I almost a, broke a state record. That's a great <laughs> testament to record. to not only athletes that are listening, but coaches as well. That one year can make an unbelievable difference, not just a, mm -hmm. a big mm -hmm. difference. I mean, you can go from not mm -hmm. making the state meet to winning the state meet in one year. I, I love that. But the thing, the difference is though, um, I, I can't leave this out. I, I outworked everybody my senior year, mm -hmm. meaning my mom dropped me off at the track, um, at six in the morning. So I would, you know, be out of by myself. So I would do, I would warm up, you know, do all this stuff. I'd work on my blocks, like literally by myself. So when, when the school buses was coming and, and the kids and the athletes were coming or whatever, like to school, they would see me on the track, like early in the morning, like, like putting the work in. And then I would be at track practice in the evening. And so, um, it wasn't like I, I didn't work for it though. That, that was the thing. Like it, 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 it happened overnight, but it's because I put in twice the work 
than a normal person would have or a normal high school athlete would have. How did you know what work to do? You know, we're talking about a time. This is still before I can go on YouTube and see block starts. And, um, you know, our coaches around that area in general were not uh, coaches that were going to coaches educate. There wasn't very much coaching mm -hmm. education available. Like that. How did you know whether it was instinctively or did you read a book? How did you know what to work on besides just like, oh, I'll go work hard and do repeat quarters or whatever, you know, the, the hard work stuff that people sometimes think makes you better, but not really. Believe it or not, it was this white guy named Dakota. And he was a he was actually a teacher at Smith Station. And he was an a volunteer coach at Oplaka High School. And I remember he remembered me from um the year before, and then he remembered me from Winning Smith Station. So Dakota would like just be in my ear a lot. Like I say a lot, like he would just tell me, he'd just be like, Ray, listen, you you got this gift, you gotta be able to do this. And outside of that, like your blocks, like he would, he would, he would tell me like your blocks, you got to work on your block starts, you know what I'm saying? And he would, he would talk to me in an aspect of talking just to me. Like I'm not talking to the track team. I'm talking to you. So it was really coach Dakota, you know, that really gave me the extras. Like you need to work on your block work. Your blocks aren't good enough, you know? And, and he was the one that would say, you got to put in the extra time. Like he would tell me like, you got to put the extra time in, right? If you plan on doing anything, to be great, you got to put extra time in. And I remember he was the first person that taught me how to um how to visualize. Okay. Mm. And what he what he did, he had me close my eyes. He was like, I want you to close your eyes and I want you to visualize yourself winning the state championship. You know, and then he was like, I want you, he gave me the time. And I actually ran the time he gave me. He said, I want you to visualize running 10 5. And I was like, I remember, I remember when he said I opened my eyes, I was like, 10-5, because 10-5 from where I was at, I was at 10-8. <laughs> like, he's giving me this speech at 10-8, and I'm like, 10-5, you're going to run 10-5. I was like, all right, well, we'll get back into it. All right, so he, I'm, we meditating together, you know, and he came out of his lives. So I remember he tried it over at, at track practice one day with all the athletes. And I remember I was hearing athletes snickering and laughing, you know, it, it's high school. But I was trying to block them out and actually do what he had already taught me to do, which is meditate. Um, so it was really him giving me that 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 jewel to say, hey, you have something, but you got to go work extra at it to get it. And you got to believe in it. And that was his whole thing. Like every day he would come. I used he was only a volunteer coach. So he was only there like twice out the week. I used to look forward to the Tuesdays and, and Wednesday when he would come because I would wait around. You know, because Coach Hoyer to give us the workout, then uh, when Dakota would pull up, I'd be like, Dakota's here. Because he would always come to me. He would always be like, okay, Ray, what you did this morning? You know, how, you know, the rundown or whatever. And then all he ever kept telling me, he was like, you're going to do it. You're going to win state. Wow. You're going to win state. And then sure enough, he had me at 53 because that was the, that was the, um that was the, the record. I ended up running 56. Oh, is that win right? State. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was crazy shit ever. <laughs> yeah, do, so. do you know where's Coach Dakota now? I have no idea. Oh, I have no man. idea. I have no idea. But I do know he ended up, I mean, this is 20-something years ago. He ended up getting the job at Smith Station, though, as their coach okay. Um, right after that year. But that's my senior year, too. So, yeah. Yeah. Good good guy. Yeah. Man, but he, I, he, yeah. 
I love that. That shows the power. You know, you know, we're very coach focused. I'm very coach focused. And you know, one I believe one of the superpowers coaches have is that they can see things in others before they can see it in themselves. So I, I mean, mm-hmm. your story exemplified that of like he could see 10-5 in you. You had to put in the work and you even had to. Mm-hmm. You know, visualization is a lot of believing in yourself, you know, to be able to mm-hmm. see it, that I can actually do it. So I love that story uh, of this volunteer coach, by the way. I mean, not yeah, some, a volunteer coach. Yeah, oh, man. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Wasn't, it. wasn't even a real coach. It was a volunteer coach. So you you win state your senior year, which that had to be, again, amazing because you didn't even make it to state. I mean, this is your first time at state. Where, where was mm-hmm. where was uh, Al- Alabama? It was at University of Alabama. Okay. University uh, of Alabama. At Troy, we used to host the one, two, and three divisions for, for state. Mm-hmm. I wasn't sure where four, five, six was. So um, what's the next step? What are you thinking for school? What are you thinking about studying? What do you think about running? Where, what's what happens next? Well, first of all, um, I gotta uh give a shout out and rest in peace to um Coach Glance. Um, so when I it was actually Coach Glance was the Alabama coach when I won state. Mm-hmm. So Soon as I I remember, <laughs> I remember they was telling us that you couldn't celebrate. You know, like um, you can't celebrate. The same thing they do now in sports was the weirdest thing. Nick, that's like Coach Hoyer was like, you can't celebrate. The rules are this, the rules are that. So I remember when I won, um, and they I heard them call my name. I remember celebrating but not celebrating it was the weirdest thing <laughs> because it was like i did just like that i was like instead of picking my arms were like down yeah, like, yeah don't go above the head <laughs> <laughs> but anyway i remember coach glance you know he shook my hand he was like that's a, that's a pretty decent run you did right there you know um you might have a future in this so i actually had a scholarship for to go to alabama state before I went to the state championship. Um, because again, I didn't know I was gonna be great in track, you know. So when they offered the, the scholarship, it was like right out the um, area. And so I was like, heck yeah. So then when I won state, um I got a call from Coach Spry on mm-hmm. Monday. Okay. And then he was like, Hey, this is Coach Spry from off University, how you doing? I'm like, who? <laughs> you know, because again, I don't follow track, I don't know who, I don't know who you are. And so then um what ended up happening was right after state, I Auburn got interested in me. So at that moment, I was like, heck yeah, hometown. Right. This one I'm going to school at. I'm so excited. Everything. But what ended up happening was um, so in order to get into Auburn University, you had to have um, it was it was two requirements. You had to have taken algebra two and you had to have an 18 or ACT mm-hmm. or whatever. So I had the ACT score but I never took algebra two. And it was because Auburn's an engineering school. So those, it was just one of those requirements. So what ended up happening was um, Coach Fry was like, well, I got a, I got a friend that's up in, in, um, up in, at a junior college. Uh, dang, what freaking city was that? But anyway, so he, he was like, I got a, I got a friend, uh, Hamilton, up in Hamilton, Hamilton Alabama, yeah. Bevel State. I was thinking yeah. Hansfield, Hamilton. Yeah, yeah Hamilton, Bevel State. And so he was like, well, what, what I can do is I can send you up there and then you'll do all your courses and everything will be transferred back to here. And then when you get done up there, you can come back here to Auburn. So I was like, all right, cool. You know, I, War Eagle, I, I, let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> so what ended up happening was, I, it was, it, again, one of the weirdest things happened. I ended up going to, to junior college and I went to indoor junior college. 
I'm into internationals, and in the it was a 55 then. Mm-hmm. I got third in the 55, you know, and it was again from Devil State. Who did what? What school is this? Like mm-hmm. we didn't even heard of this. So I'm in the junior college ranks. They like who in the hell is Mun Xavier from Belva State? Mm-hmm. So then I end up winning the 200. This is a freshman at indoor. I end up winning the 200, and I broke the um the K State track record in the 200. Out of the out of the slow heat at that, I wasn't even in fast heat. So at that point, here we are again. Coach Brown was like, oh, "Man, you up there getting fast?" And I'm like, I "Guess so, Coach." So fast forward to freshman year, um, outdoor. I end up winning the hundred meter dash at NJCAA in the rain with ten three, and then I end up backdooring it and winning the two hundred. With 20.67. Now, this is 2000 that I'm talking about with these times. So, by that time, I've won the indoor 200 at NJ and CAA. I've won the outdoor 100. I've won the outdoor 200. So, as far as on the college radar, I don't pop up now. Like, yeah. everybody's like, who in the hell is this? And where'd he come from? Yeah. But it wasn't until after I won NJCAA, my, the coach up there, um, um, Said we need to go to USA Juniors. This and again, the, the all co- this stuff is new to me. The coach of Bevel. Yeah, my coach of Bevel. Yep. That, so was, that would have been Steve Dudley, right? Yeah, Coach Dudley. Yeah, coach Steve, Dudley. D- Steve Dudley and I, like I am indebted to Steve Dudley. He hired me at Mississippi State when I was coaching. So I know. he gave me my my SEC breaks. So I love I know. Steve Dudley. Come on, man. That's awesome. You know, Coach Dudley got a job because of me. Is that right? We'll get to that story. Okay. All right. <laughs> let's keep it rolling. Baby. So, so USA. So Coach Dudley, we're in Alabama now, and and USA Juniors was in Denton, Texas. Hmm. So he was like, "Ready to go to Texas? Okay, how we getting there? We driving. All right, cool. <laughs> that is Dudley <laughs> so, right there. We driving. <laughs> cool. All right, we driving. So it was funny because he had he had his little hatchback. So what he did in the hatchback, he put um he put blankets in the hatchback and everything for me to lay down. And so him and his girlfriend and drive drove me all the way to Denton, Texas. So I remember um, in the semifinals, again, this is the my second year running track because I just won, well, third year, but second year of being good. Yeah. The semifinals, Nicholas Johnson, um, I remember his name, Nicholas Johnson beat me in the semifinals. And I remember he was in front of me by about 10 meters. And then he when he, after he beat me in the semis, he ran up the tarp. And then he came back down. And then he was like, they need to take to the showers. I don't even know why they're here. And I heard that. And I was like, for some reason, <laughs> anytime somebody says something crazy to me in track, it, it turns the switch on. So I was like, okay, we'll see tomorrow. The next day, all I every time I saw him, I couldn't take my eyes off of him. I was like, okay, take to the showers. Okay. I ended up running 1018. Oh. 1018. I still have. I still have the record for the stadium at UNT. I'm still in the books. And that was 2000. I ended up running 1018, and it was legal 1018. I qualified for the Olympic trials. That's a break. And all break. I cared about was after I crossed the finish line, I looked right at him and said, "Now you take it to the showers. You take, show- <laughs> you take it to the showers." And after that, it was cool because he had been my, he was on the relay with me for U.S. Juniors, <laughs> but it was like, yeah. So after I after I ran at 1018, I didn't know what that was. I was just like, yeah, yeah man, we ran 1018. Okay, that's fast, right? 
I didn't realize how fast that was mm-hmm. because at that moment, Auburn had dropped to like here because every single school in America yeah. was calling me, was calling my mom, was calling my dad. It did not matter. I also won the 200 there, too, at U.S. Juniors at, with 20.57. Mm-hmm. And again, 10.18 and 20.5 in 2000 by a 19-year-old. Mm-hmm. I didn't know I was LeBron James. They did. But, you know, <laughs> like, well, we've never seen this type of stuff before. So then I remember my coach, he asked me, he was like, do you want to go to the Olympic trials or do you want to go to the U.S. Juniors? And I was like, no, actually, it's like, you should just go to U.S. Juniors because you got time to do Olympic trials, whatever. So I, I, I didn't do that. Um, But what ended up happening was just that, like, colleges was beating down the door. I mean, I had letter of intents being sent to my house. Every day I went to Coach Dudley's office, it was another from somebody. I'm talking about TCU, USC, Tennessee. It did not matter. So I ended up having to um make a decision. So, of course, Auburn was where I wanted to go, but it was so many, so many new options now. And, you know, um, so I had to get, because Dudley was like, well, <clears throat> you got to pick five schools to go visit. I never forget sitting in his office. He's like, well, we got to pick five schools to go visit. And I was like, what do you mean? You know, like, well, they're going to, they're going to, you're going to go to the campus. <laughs> you thought gonna, you were just going to pick off of just what you know of them. You didn't know you were actually going to go visit? Yeah, well, I didn't know. Like, they, I was like, <laughs> what, what do you mean? Awesome. I'm going to go visit. Like, right. what do you mean? Like. That's you're going on a awesome. visit. <laughs> what the hell is a recruiting visit? Because like, again, nobody from Oblaka ever been through any of this. You're, we don't know what this is. Innocence is amazing. I love this. Because, you know, <laughs> there, there's another story. You know, you, you watch movies, the multiverse, right? There's another mm-hmm. multiverse where Ray Edwards gets this huge head and expects the world to come to him because he ran. You, you know what I'm saying? And here you are. You're like, mm-hmm. oh, wait, I get to go visit? Oh, and you're going to pay for it? What, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. I love this. This is awesome. Oh, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. So I ended up I ended up picking um Mississippi State, of course, because that was Coach Dudley's alumni. Yep. Um Mississippi State and um Tennessee mm-hmm. and of course Auburn, um, TCU, LSU. Um, but I only took four of my visits. I didn't even take all five of them. Um, the reason being because once I went to Tennessee, I knew that's where I was going. And at that time, Coach Anderson oh. was the coach of Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And also Justin was a freshman at Tennessee. And Leonard Scott was there. Mm-hmm. So I was sold off of our relay that we was going to have. Like, oh, we going to be set, <laughs> you know. So um, and so Coach Dudley was telling me, he was like, it's a good chance. I might, you know, be able to get the job at Mississippi State. So after I had won state and all that stuff, they was like, okay, you got to know something about sprinting because how in the hell do you take him from nowhere to there? So, um, shout out to Coach Dudley for that. But Coach Dudley, man, that dude, when I tell you the way that I train and the way that I am now is because of Coach Dudley because all he did was research. Like, I try to tell people, like, every day I would go in his office, he'd be like, Ray, I was on the internet, and this is what I found. And he would have, like, a whole stack of papers, like, they say if we take you outside and make you run downhill, it's going to give you this acceleration, and we're going to give you this turnover, let's go do it. I'm like, downhill, running, I'm going to die. Like, these are true stories. Like, he was like, no, no, Ray, this going to work. So I'm like, all right, <laughs> if you say so, and I'm talking about weight room stuff. He would come and be like, I did the research. And every time he would have, he would be, have like a smile on his face with a stack of papers, like, let's go. Like, like I was like some science project, but it yep. worked. Yep. <laughs> so, but yeah, so that's how, um, and then needless to say, I ended up not going to any of those schools at all. They don't go to Texas Tech. We heard it out. Why? It was a, it was, it was a gap. 
um, from junior college. So what ended up happening was after my freshman year, I won everything, you know, I, I'm still Rado. I'm still the humble guy. I, I don't, you know, whatever, you know, so, but um, in the off season, when we was at Bevel State, one night, me and uh, me and a couple of the track athletes, we was bored or whatever. So we decided to go break into um, break into a golf course. And so we broke into the golf course and then we um, hopped on the golf carts, you know, and stuff like that. And um, one of my one of my best friends, um, Danny, he died that night. So and it, it was funny because Danny had been to Opelika with me. He'd been to, he was a twin too, Danny and Mark. You know, he had been to Opelika with me, stayed at my house and everything. And so, but what ended up happening was when we stole the golf carts, um, the golf cart that he was on, he was in the middle. And somehow they lost control of the golf cart and it, when it went over the hill and it went right into a tree. So when it went into the tree, he got stuck in between the tree and the golf cart. So I remember, like, well, I saw the whole thing happen. Like, I saw the, the sparks and everything. So when I hopped out of the hours, I ran down, and I remember I checked on Patrick. Um, Patrick, he was, like, at the top of the hill, and I checked on another one of our friends. And then I was like, you know, like, no, I mean, where's Mark at? And it was like, Mark's down there. And so I went down there, and Mark's in the middle of the tree. So, of course, we had, I put him out, put him out the tree and everything. And uh, so he ended up dying or whatever. So when that happened, they they cut the whole track program. Like not, we're not even having a track program no more. This is you know it, it was over with. So at that point in time, I had to move back home because there was no track team. So when I moved back, I moved back home. I ended up going to um Southern Southern University or whatever. But at that point in time, I was so like just out of it, like from you know the death and then no more running track and just so depressed and stuff like that. I ended up um I ended up getting my girlfriend at the time pregnant or whatever back in Opelika. And I was like, the summertime was there. I, I wasn't doing nothing. You know, my dad was like, you gotta do something. So I ended up going to the army. Cause I was like, I I'm at least going to the army, you know, since because when I when I was at um Southern University, they put me on the academic suspension. And I was on the academic suspension because I didn't go to class like I didn't. I mean, I went from being like here, like I just won everything as a US junior, and now I'm here. Like it, it, it was it was rough. So I, I ended up putting on academic suspension, and I was on academic suspension until January of that um 2002 year. So my dad was like, just go in the army, you know. And I was like, what? He was like, go in the army, be a reservist. You ain't gotta go real army, be a reservist. And then he had it mapped out for me. He was like, you can't go back to school to January, no matter what. So you might as well do your basic training during the summertime, do your AIT during um the fall, and then go back to school, and you have benefits, this and that, yada yada yada. Um, because at that point in time for me, I thought track was over with. I was like, all right, well yeah, I guess so, you know, because that's that Opelika Alabama mentality. Like, well, you back home, you try, nothing happened. So what ended up happening was right when I was getting ready to get out of the army, um. Long story short, short story long, ended up finding out the child wasn't even mine when I was in the army. And I was like, I ain't the army, what a child. And then they ain't mine. Ooh. But anyway, Rayo was lifestyle. So I got a phone call from a high school, um, from one of my high school track athletes, um, Jackie Bell. And he was like, Man, I'm up here at this school in Kansas City, um, with this Nike coach or whatever. And I was like, 
man, what? He was like, yeah, I'll tell him about you, you know what I'm saying? And since you're out the military, he was saying, you come up here and go to junior college and, and finish up up here and then get to running. And I was like, well, uh, no, nah, I'm cool. Because I was I was about to um, move to Atlanta to Fort Benning and just, you know, do my one weekend a month, you know, give my money. And then someone was like, you know what, go to Kansas City for the weekend, you know, just because Jackie was up there. So I went up there, you know, and then um, I remember when I met Coach Hop, the first time I met Coach Hop, he gave me that same type of talk that Dakota gave me, mm. you know, to where it was like, I, I, I checked you out. I, I remember you, you know, like you, you, you can do it. You can still do it. And I'm like, man, nah, <laughs> I literally like, nah, I don't know about all that. So he convinced me to move to Kansas City anyway. And so he convinced me to move up there in January. I started school and then, you know, he started training me and stuff like that. And then I ended up running horrible. You know, like when I say horrible, I was back running 10-3. Oh. And then you're talking to somebody who's U.S. junior champ. So it's like, I, I knew this went for me. And then I remember he told me, he was like, you got to run slow before you can run fast. <laughs> that was exactly what he told me. Because I was ready to quit again. He was like, just trust me. He was like, just trust me. And I was like, I don't have much of a choice because I'm stuck in your school now. <laughs> I don't have too much of a choice. I, you know, I'm stuck here now. So at that point, it went right back to that Opelika training, meaning Coach Hop was just drilling me with, you can do it. Visualize this, visualize that. Do Think this, think that, think this, think that. And then so – um. We I ended up going to NJCAA, and then you got to keep in mind when I went this year when I went to Kansas City, it was two I was two years removed from 2000 when I had won, so I ended up losing, you know, and then it wasn't good because like how the hell I'm gonna lose, and I'm looking at the the record and it's still my name, mm -hmm. so deflated again, but he was just like no just just we just gonna work, and then I remember I sat down and talked to him I was like I want to win. I did all times like I want to win. I was in his living room. And I was like, I don't like this losing shit. I said, like, I don't like this losing shit. I want to win. And then he was like, You want to win? I can, I can teach you how to win. And then that's when he went on his field about training Maurice Green, you know, and then working with Nike and stuff of that nature. And so that's when you know, I started believing in him because he took me to his back room one day. And his back room, he had Nike boxes and shoes and clothes galore. And he was like, I'm a Nike rep. So and I get all the Nike stuff. From them and I help when I go to pen relays and stuff like that. So I started learning about who he was. I was like, okay, well shit, baby, you can help me. And that was in 2002. Here's a one-year turnaround again. 2002, I did not even um do anything at uh NJCAA, right? Um, that was the same year that Tyson was there, and me and Tyson was supposed to lock heads. So I, I ended up beating Tyson though in the semis and pulled my hamstring. Coach Frazier, Coach Frazier's on my show, right? Mm -hmm. He was there. He's been with me my entire life since Kansas City. He was down there. He was like, Ray, I don't know what happened, but you you started doing some type of crazy lifting stuff, and then that's when your hamstring went out. Because mm -hmm. I went back to that that voice, like, pick your feet up and do this. So 2002, I was like, it should over it again. But then Hop was like, no, it's not. And so we just really got to work. And then 2003, First round, I went 10 09 and, and beat John Drummond, ran Tim Montgomery to the line. And then at that point, I remember I looked at Coach Hopman and he just gave me a thumbs up. And I was like, okay, all right, cool. All right. That's, that's not bad, not bad. So then 
after I ran that 1009, um, everybody was like, who is that? And then when they found out who I was, they was like, that's that kid. <laughs> like, that's, that, that's that one. That, I can't say a name. That's that, that's that one kid. So at that point in time, that night, I remember I had a conversation with Hop, and Hop was like, I'm going to try and work on getting you a deal. And this is 2003, and I was like, wow. a deal? What the right. hell is that? Like, what is that? <laughs> like, I'm going to work on getting you a track deal. Okay, cool. Um, Let's do it. The next morning, I remember he called me to my room. I mean, he called me to his room. He was like, so I had a talk with Cap. And at that time, Cap was, you know, the person at Nike. He was like, um, they want to offer you $5,000 bonus. And they're gonna give you seventy five thousand dollars. In my in my mind, I'm rich as hell now. Oh, I hopped on the phone. I well, I had let me say, I call my mama first. So I called mm-hmm. my mama to my mama, and then I, I called my dad, and I said, "Well, look, dad, but they saying if I take it, I can't go back to college." And then he was like, oh, "Okay, all right. Well, you got to make a decision on your own." And so then I called uh, one of my mentors' cousin. Rest in peace. He, he died um, a year ago. One of my biggest fans. So I called him and I told him, I said, man, cool, Nike trying to give me some money. But then man, they say I can't go back and run the school and I want to go back and run NCAA and win that because I, I don't have that title. And then he was like, cool, they building schools every day. You can always go back to school. You ain't going to always be fast. And at that moment, it was like, he's right. <laughs> so, so pause there. First of all, I love that last statement because you know, this was around the time, uh, actually before this, was when um, uh, basketball players out of high school were talking about going pro. And people were like, oh, they should go to college, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, man, mm-hmm. they, can al- they can always go back to school. The NBA, you bust your knee one time, you're out. Go, you know, be smart with your money and, and you know, do that. So I love that you had the same yeah. uh, uh, advice. But, but you, know, you know what I love, Ray, you're painting this picture. We we like to think, we, we wish life was like this linear, you know, from the bottom left chart mm-hmm. all the way to the top. There's never any downs. It's always, you know, I run 10-18. Well, that means the next time I'm going to run 10-0, uh, I'm going to win this title and then I'm going to go to this school and I'm going to run 10 flat. It's just going to be linear. So I love this story of like, oh man, 10-18. Oh, and then, you know, a tragedy, a friend passes away from a, you know, I don't want to uh, condone what you guys were doing, but you, you, you were, weren't doing the world's worst things here. You, you busted into a golf course and, you know, you I hate to say kids being kids, but again, I don't want to condone mm-hmm. what you're doing, but you know, you, you weren't out murdering people for crying out loud. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so a tragedy happens and what you, you know, listener, what you have to kind of put yourself in Ray's shoes because, because you're right, Ray, you go back home where we were from and where we knew and what we knew that's we weren't supposed to escape you escaped a little bit you know you went to Bethel and you get to go to you know North Texas for the world junior for the USA juniors we don't do that we didn't even know that was out there so Uh to to come back to Opelika it's like okay well you know what this is where I'm supposed to be I'm supposed to get a job and I'm at the the store or whatever this is just you know start a family or whatever I I grew up in the trailer park and you follow so it's oh I'm gonna get my own trailer these kind of things yep yep there is a um there's a learned depression with all of that. It's hard to, it's hard for, for kids that are growing up there to see that, Oh, this is a small part of the world. You, 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 there's a lot more out there for you to do a lot mm-hmm. of things, things you don't even know that you can do. So I love that, you know, you get, you know, the, the graph actually goes down and then it's like, well, you know, you get this angel and I love this, um, you know, this happenstance. You have a friend out in Kansas city who's connected to someone who I don't think gets there due today. Hop Al Hobson 
Hop, affectionately known, uh, definitely got his due back back in your due. When back in this time and mm-hmm. a little bit before that, he was humming. You know, he's obviously the you know the most biggest Colin Card he has, Maurice Green's coach. But what he was doing at KCK on the sprints for JUCO and then the Nike athletes that he had there, it was phenomenal. I mean, he was coaching amazing, amazing kids mm-hmm. uh, to do really amazing things. So I love this. Like, okay, now the trajectories back up. Like, okay, maybe you know, but but you're not running as fast. So see, it's not it's not as smooth hill to climb it is ups and downs it's valleys it's ebbs and flows and mm-hmm. what's cool to me is you're telling that story ray every second i'm like oh well this is where ray quits and by the way no one's gonna blame him like he's gonna quit and just go home the track's done he's gonna go back and get a job and, and nope nope ray keeps fighting so i, I love this like I don't want to call it the uh, the colloquial uh, no quit attitude, but it's always like, okay, well, let's see what happens next. All right, let's see what happens. Never, never giving up is kind of what I'm I'm hearing from this story, and I love it. And now you're in Kansas City, so now you transition from collegiate <coughs> track to the next level. Now mm-hmm. they always say the easiest way to go from number one to number hundred is turn pro. What was it like? I mean, you you'd lined up against a lot of these guys, Tyson and John, and all these guys, but now it's for money. Now it's for stakes. Now it's for the whole enchilada. What's that like? Well, it's funny you ask me that because when I when I went pro in 2003, um, I mean, we got to keep in mind, in 2003, that was 2003, and 1009 is fast. Yeah. <laughs> like, that ain't, that, ain't, that ain't slow. Yep. So for me, when I went pro, I didn't actually see any downside of being pro to like 2006. Mm-hmm. So that transition for me, uh, let me tell you this: the transition though, um, from going to to pro, it's European racing. Mm-hmm. That was that's the transition you got to first go through and figure out when you go pro, which is my very first track meet in Zagreb. I'm looking, I'm feeling myself because I don't run there but 10 O's, 10 ones. And I'm looking at the results and like like from previous meets and the people coming in, I'm like, oh, I'm finna dust these people, man. This ain't even, this ain't even gonna be, this gonna be easy. Mm-hmm. So I ended up running, I ended up running like 10-5, right? And then the meet was won with 10-3. And I got third and I lost to like some some local people. And I'm like, what the hell going on? So by this, so and that was Zagreb. So at the Zagreb, I had to go to Rome, right? And so I'm in Rome for the first time, racing in Rome. And then I remember TC was my agent. He was like, it's going to take you a meter two to get the cobwebs off. And I'm like, all right, cool. So we get to Rome. And he'll get like sixth in Rome and end up running like 1028. And this is right after I ran 10-0. And so at that point, I told TC, TC, man, I'm ready to go home. I literally said, I, I, I'm ready to go home. I don't like this because I didn't like losing. <laughs> like I didn't like losing. Like, oh, something ain't right. And so I remember Coach Hop was trying to tell me, he's like, man, Ray, you just got to get adjusted jet lag and jet lag this and jet lag that. And then, but then Hop was like, but just come on home because you don't have a good season. You know, we don't, we ran under the radar, you know, uh, at small meets and then you ran 10-0, you got a contract. Just come on back home, it's over with. We'll get ready for world championships. Because uh, I had finished sixth in the USA. So hmm. I was, um, I had finished sixth. And he was like, just come on back home um, and we'll get you ready for the relay. Uh, for Paris or whatever. So another downside is I didn't get to go to Paris. Okay. I didn't get to go to Paris because when I came back from Rome, I connected through Chicago and I got detained in Chicago. So I had a warrant from Texas Tech. 
Okay, so like got the tech the tech part of the story I left out. Yeah. But when I was at tech, so when I was at tech, me and my roommates, um, I just tell the truth. I don't tell, I don't, I don't care. We was writing hot checks. Um, we was writing hot checks for our rent. We was writing hot checks for our bills. We was writing hot checks for freaking anything. And what we didn't know well at the time was it's a, it's a it's a felony if you write a hot check over a thousand dollars. So when you write a check for twelve hundred, <laughs> you just committed a felony. And don't even know it. So what ended up happening was when I came back to Chicago, they detained me because I had that felony warrant. But the warrant wasn't big enough for love of the care. It's like, mm. yeah, all right, well, put him on the plane, let him come on. We'll see him when he get here. Somehow that message didn't go through. Okay. I'm being dead ass serious. That message did not go through. So I'm in Chicago, right? And of course, I don't told my mama, I don't told Coach Hop, I don't told everybody. And so, you know, they going around, they getting lawyers, this and that, and they like Lubbock ain't, you know, responding back, yada, yada, yada. So I'm in Cook County for 30 days. Okay. Oh, no. 30 days. 30 days. This is all up until, you know, Coach Hop trying to get me out because he, he look at the clock like, we got to get ready. We got to get ready. So everybody trying to get me out. They're like, well, we can't do nothing until he get expedited back to, to, to Lubbock, right? This is what the lawyers and everybody tell my parents now. Make a long story short, come 30 days in, um, because what happens is after 30 days, no matter what, that wherever you're at, they have to let you go. Mm-hmm. If the other state, city, whoever wants you, don't come get you, they have to let you go. So on day 30, I wake up like, oh, I'm going home or whatever. So when they call my name, I'm like, yeah, buddy, I, I, I'm finna go catch my flight. So they was like, no, 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 you don't go this way. You got to go this way. And then they sent me with these other people who was being transported. So they transported me from Chicago to Lubbock. It took a whole week and they stopped us and put us in different jails the whole way down. Right. So, but get this, this is where the story gets good. So I walk <laughs> in to, I walk in to Lubbock, right? We finally, I finally get to Lubbock, right? And the, the officer, he walks me up to, you know, where I'm supposed to go. So the lady asked my information and she put in, she punches stuff in the screen and she's like, that's weird. So then she goes back to talk to the dude, the officer that brought me from Chicago. And then I'm looking at them, they having a conversation going back and forth and he like showing paperwork and she like, no, no, no. And so she comes back around the desk and then she's like, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, sorry for what? Like, she, she, she was like, you was never supposed to be locked up, huh? Shut up. <laughs> what? I was never supposed to be what? She was like, no, no, no. When they told us that you were being detained at the airport, we told them at the airport to let you go because I was flying back to Lubbock anyway. <laughs> like, my flight was to land in Lubbock. Like, Dude. I was going Chicago, Chicago, Lubbock. And so they told the people like it, it it's not uh uh it's not a criminal um, now she said it's not a violent warrant. So they were supposed to let me go at the airport. Somehow the message didn't get through to the airport. So I'm lost in, in Cook County and Lubbock the whole time was looking for me to just show up. Like, you know, so the lady told me she was like, We are so sorry. And I'm like, so sorry. Right. <laughs> So at that point, she like went in the system and she wiped out any speeding ticket I had, any of this, like in front of me. I'm like, I'm so happy to be out of jail, though, to where it's like, I'm not even mad, like whatever. 
don't care. Yeah. Don't even care. So ends up missing the world championship due to that. And then when I went to court, even the judge, he apologized. He's like, you're not going to do no jail time. No, you know what I'm saying? No, none of that. So um, they ended up counting that for like, like my sentence. Like literally they counted that as my sentence. So I missed the world championship in 2003 due to, like I, like I tell people, I'm not mad at them. I can't get mad because the, the information didn't get sent through. I got to be mad at my dumb tail for putting myself in a situation to where that even happened. So, uh, I, okay. But did you think that way in the moment? Oh yeah. At, really? at the same time. Like, yeah, because I, I, I did it when I, I did it. So I'm like, I can't be mad at y'all for something that I did, you and, know, in 30 days is terrible, especially Cook County. I, I can't imagine any mm -hmm. jail, but I know, you know, living in Chicago, I know what Cook County is about. But I get so like it, it to me, it, it breaks my heart when I read these articles, these news about, you know, someone who does five years, 10 years. I just read an article where a guy did 40 years for a crime he didn't commit. He wasn't even at the scene. And I think, mm -hmm. oh, like there's no and, you know, typically, you know, for the long ones, five, 10, 40 years, they get some kind of compensation, a million dollars, five million. It's like that doesn't like this guy who just did 40. I don't know what he ended up getting several million, I'm sure. But mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. 40 years of your life is mm -hmm. gone and god knows what goes on in there so don't even think about mm -hmm. the trauma and everything we, we uh, the uh, jail is not for rehabilitation folks so uh mm -hmm. i can't imagine so and i'm so happy you, it was quote unquote only 30 days but 30 days mm -hmm. to sit in mm -hmm. jail it's one thing to sit in jail for 30 days because ah crap i did something wrong and okay this is my penance mm -hmm. this is what i gotta do you weren't even supposed to be in there every, every day i woke up i thought it was the day i was going home of course every day yeah every day oh. and then and then like 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 what people understand is you coming from you, you you just signed a major contract you ain't seen your first check yet we're back at the high just signed a major contract let's go to the just bottom. left rome running now you at the bottom <laughs> so when you say it ain't Dude. no strictly oh no baby Dude. it's <laughs> it's really how are you going to ride this roller coaster is yeah. what it really is about to get to the top. I and mean, that's what I tell anybody. It's like, are you going to ride this roller coaster? Because it is not going to be a, mm -mm, I mean, not, I, not at all. I believe you have to have bad to have good. You have to have sad to have happiness, but mm -hmm. man, maybe your, your bottom parts of the roller coaster were a little too far down. <laughs> yeah, my, my, my drop off was like, I'm pregnant. It's not yours. Yeah. <laughs> you in Rome. Now you're in jail. You having right. fun now? You now your best friend attractors died. Right. All right. And again, All right. Right. every single thing, every one of these downs, you could have quit, mm -hmm. and no one would have been like, "Oh man, I can't believe he quit." I'm like, "Oh yeah, I get it, dude. Dude is in jail for thirty days. Get it. I'm pissed at the world for that, and I will burn the world until to get my revenge." But you didn't. Nah, man, nah, not at all. Not at all. So we, keep, so we keep going in the circuit. Yeah. So after that, I went back to um Kansas City and 2004 was, no, 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 no. I'm lying. After that, I had to stay in Lubbock until the courts and everything was done. But uh, I was going to stay down there and train with um Coach Osa at Texas Tech. But then um what they said in December was if you're not, if you're not a student here, you can no longer use the facilities. Mm. So at that point, I had to make a decision. So um, John Capel, actually, John Capel was my idol. Like mm. when I started running track and, you know, watching, I was like, God, I like that guy from Florida. So <clears throat> he ended up, him and Bernard Williams 
um after 2003 because that's who i was hanging with when i was in europe 2004 they was like hey you want to come out here and train with us hell yeah so I literally packed up my car and I drove from Lubbock, Texas, all the way to Gainesville. I made a stop in Opelika to stay at home with mom for a night. And I woke up the next morning and then finished my drive all the way to Gainesville. And then when I got to Gainesville, um, because Capel told me, he was like, if you just, just show up, I got you. So literally when I showed up at the doorstep, he was like, go in that room. And the next morning, he took me and got me an apartment. <laughs> he took me around to make sure I got everything turned on. He took me to meet Coach Miles, and then Miles was just ecstatic about having me there. So, you know, so 2004, I was down there in Gainesville, and but I didn't make it out to semifinals. And so what ended up happening was um, Florida was was about to initiate that same thing. So here I am again, having to make a decision that uh, Capel ended up having to go to HSI, you know, um, but that's kind of why. But now Mouse has it set to where he he can he can coach whoever. But back then, you know, it, it was the same thing I could take. So I ended up going back to Hop. Um, and then when I went back to Hop, um, 2005, that was when I actually made my first World Championship team, and I was able to go and not be locked up. So when I got to Helsinki, feeling I was like, hell yes, I finally made it. <laughs> I finally made it. What What's it like? You know, I had this conversation with a, a fellow friend of ours, Dexter Falk, when he was in between Olympic trials. You know, he, you know, he was a hurdler. So, you know, I think he got fourth at USA's. He still ran like one of the top five times in the world. But, you know, USA was unbelievable in the mm -hmm. hurdles. And, you know, mm -hmm. he's trying to decide on whether to, you know, do it, you know, keep going or to go, go get quote unquote, a real job, all those kind of things. And I was like, man, I was like, you know, he had a daughter and I was like, man, you know, you're going to all these places around the world. You're going to be able to give her experiences that she never would have had from mm -hmm. when, when, you know, he grew up in, uh, um, outside of Atlanta. So, mm -hmm. you know, you and I grew up in a, an area where, you know, we thought it was something you follow. I thought it was a big deal when I'd go to Dothan for like the movie theater. Like that, that was, mm -hmm. that was out of the country for me. <laughs> yeah, I went to the big city of Dothan. Right. I think one time we went to Montgomery and I was like, holy crap, like this is a metropolis. Like you, you can't imagine what a Chicago, LA and, and internationally forget about it. There is no international in, in my head growing up. Here's this kid from Opelika uh, I have to imagine you grew up kind of similar, like, oh man, I'm not going to Zagreb and Rome. Like those Never are knew that, that's, Zagreb stuff, was. That, that's stuff I read. No existed. <laughs> yeah, I, I have to study that in a history book. That's how I know what Rome is. Uh, mm -hmm. I have to take a test on it. What's it like? You, you know, you went to some amazing cities, amazing countries. Hopefully, you got to. I know you're there for business. You had to run and run fast to make the check. But hopefully, you got to experience some of the culture at some of these places. What's that like from a kid who? used to race from stoplight to stoplight from and now you're in freaking rome it's a it's a gift and a curse hmm. okay and what i mean by that is that's why you see people like fred curly beating people that's why i rest in peace my sister Tori boy you see people like her you see people like me that have these long careers in the sport because it's like we never knew anything outside a small town mm -hmm. so like you say like me going to montgomery was like well, we're going to the city if i went to atlanta it was like oh my god we went we went to atlanta last weekend what i went to atlanta so when the gift and the curse is because you've never seen anything everywhere i went i had to go see like it wasn't real to me you know what i'm saying it's like mm -hmm. 
yeah, you read about it or whatever or was taught about it, but even Alabama, it was more Alabama history versus anything mm-hmm. else. You right. know, that was actually, of course, Alabama history. Yeah. So when I was going to these places, I always made it my, I always made it my interest to go and meet a local mm. throughout oh. my entire career. Really? I, would, I would literally, and then like, a lot of athletes used to look at me and be like, man, Ray, you finna go out in the city? Like, yeah. As soon as I got there, I would drop my bag and I would just go walking. I'm like, first of all, I'm from Oak Black, Alabama. We walk everywhere. So I would drop my bag and I would just go walking and just walk wherever I'm at. It did not matter where what country I was in. I said, these are pilgrimages to where these are experiences that I need to be able to take for the rest of my life. Yeah. So I'm not going to sit here in this hotel because I got a race tomorrow. It's like, well, I'm going I'm to go walking and I'm going to have to take ice bath. So for me, everywhere I went, I tried to make sure that I ate the normal food there. That's cool. Some of it messed my stomach up. I'd had some times. I was in Brazil and I had the ruins. Um, but yeah, I wanted to always make sure I experienced that culture because again, like I, I was one of those people to understand that this is this is a blessing because you're here for free. Like you didn't get you didn't have to pay to get here. So I had to take advantage of it because when it's over with, it's over with. Because I, I see what these tickets look like when my agent sent it to me. Like, oh, that's what it costs to get me there? Yep, you better run fast. I run good enough. So it was like making sure that I absorbed all of it and took all of it in mm. versus being shut in. Okay. So I just, I just, I never could do that. Like, and a lot of people used to say that I didn't take it serious, you know, because I would party, you know, with the locals. I would go out and have a good time and then, you know, come back and then I end up getting like third, you know, they'd be like, well, if you hadn't went out, you you probably would have won. Well, if I hadn't went out, I wouldn't have won or got third at all because I've been miserable in this damn hotel with y'all. Yeah, so, no, yeah. <laughs> I went out and I experienced life. I had fun and I just made sure that that was my thing. Like, e- everywhere I went, like, no, I got to get out. And it was crazy because in my time, this is before Instagram, this before, you know, Facebook had just started, you know, right. so... If I had had any of that stuff, like they'd have thought I was a tourist versus a track athlete. <laughs> Vatican, been to the back, did all of it. Like I got to go touch stuff. Like that was me. I'm like, I can't just be here and know that these things are here. I got to go actually touch it. Like being in Berlin, oh, I got to go touch where the Berlin Wall was at. So like I was a tourist. I was a tourist. Then I was a partier. And then I ran track. <laughs> that was my order. You know, I, I traveled. 100 and something nights a year, but it's all domestic. And mm-hmm. I, I truly enjoy going to a Dallas, a Seattle, um, Auburn, you know, middle, you know, small towns, things like that. It's really amazing. I can't imagine, I have not done very much at all international travel. I can't imagine doing all of that, regardless of where you came from. I know we're, we're anchoring this to the story of where you came from, but I don't care if you mm-hmm. grew up in Chicago, LA. I can't imagine having the opportunity to go to these amazing places with amazing people that are not like you. They're, they have different experiences and not mm-hmm. taking advantage of it. Like, I, a lot I'm of so athletes happy. don't, though. I know. I'm so a lot happy of athletes don't. What, what is your, as you look back, you know, and you had a long career with a lot of different places. Is there a place that, like, it's still in your heart? Like, oh, man, mm-hmm. if I could, if I could move 100%. to, yeah, where, where at? Guadalajara, Mexico. Really? Every every person that's ever asked me that, every normal person, every show, every everything, they're like, you've been, yeah, I've literally been everywhere. Yeah. I've been from all the Chinas, all the Koreas, yeah, all yeah. the Japans, all the Europe's. I, you name Serbia, been there, Guadalajara, Mexico. Why? Out of everywhere. 
Um, and Guadalajara was the third. It's a third world country. Yeah. So it's not like most people be like think I'm gonna say Paris, Tokyo. Yeah, yeah. Like no, no, no. It's exactly. I was like Guadalajara, Paris, Mexico. Rome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. yeah exactly. Nah, no. Nah. Guadalajara, Mexico was the most beautiful place I've ever been to because of the people. Mm. I mean, Guadalajara, you know, it's, it's, it's beautiful, but it's still Mexico. It's third world country. Like, the stores had dirt on the floor. And we're talking about 2010, you know, mm -hmm. they had the Pan American Games down there. But the one thing about um, Guadalajara, Mexico, the people had, they radiated such great energy. Like, it was like no negative, like, you can tell, like you'd be like, oh, I don't know, you know. It was not everywhere I went, even in the 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 the, the facilities that they had, the athletes at. Everywhere, it was just nice people. I remember I went, I was at the uh, track, and so again, I like to leave and go places. So they had water for us there, but I was like, no, nah, it got to be a store outside the track. So I go outside the track, and then I'm walking, you know, up the street or whatever. So I find this little corner store, literally dirt on the floor, little old lady sitting outside in a chair. And then she just started smiling. She started waving at me. And then so when I walked over to the store, I was like, I, like Aqua. And she couldn't speak no English. So she took me by my hand, and she was patting me on my hand, and she brought me in, and she was like, what? you know, so I was like, water, you know. So then, like, I had grabbed two waters or whatever, and then she was like, like, you know, just take. And I was like, Seriously? And it's like, no, just take it. Then she like rubbed my hand again and she was like patting me, whatever, whatnot. And so that was one experience. And then I remember I, I literally came, I literally came back from Guadalajara, Mexico with zero USA gear. Zero gear. Literally. Everything that they gave me at the Pan American Games, I either gave all of it away or I sold it to somebody there for cheap. Uh -huh. Um, and I remember um I met a guy, he was working at the track meet, and then he asked for a picture. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, come on, come on, take a picture. So, you know, I, you know, so I stood there, talked to him for a little while. And then I was like, man, where's the nightlife? He was like, oh, you want to go nightlife? I was like, yeah, baby, let's go. So he ended up being my tour guide, like, while I was there. And then the last night I was there, um, we were partying hard. It was like 5 in the morning. And then I was like, dude, what time you got to go to work? I'm ready to shut it down. He was like, I had to be working at 10 a.m. And I'm like, that's in five hours. He was like, yeah, I work 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. every day for 90 days. I was like, what? He was like, yeah, I work 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. every day. Night. I was like, dude, why are you out? And then like, he would just smile, and he looked at me. He was like, because I'm with you. And, like, that moment, it was like, it, it, it was like I understood life. You know, like, sometimes it's it's bigger for other people than we think it is. Yeah. And because of those two people in Guadalajara, I was just, I, I, they changed my whole life. Like, I, Guadalajara, Mexico. If I had a superpower in the world of podcasting and, and video and such, I would start a podcast called The Other Side. Because <laughs> I love that story, but I'm always curious, well, how does that guy, like if I could go find that guy right now, I want to hear him tell that story. And like, oh, I met this guy. He seemed like a cool guy from America. He was fast. He wanted to go party. I like the party. So I took him out and I took this picture and he still got the picture. You know what I'm saying? Like, I wonder how he like he, he's being interviewed in some podcast right now down in Mexico. And he's like, oh, yeah, let me tell you the time I, I met this American. <laughs> like, I just always want to know the other side. Like, that's such a great story, man. What an experience. And do you, you know, kind of fast forward a little bit to today. And, you know, we're sitting in 2023 and you're in the Dallas Fort Worth area. Do you 
take some of those, I don't want to call them lessons learned necessarily because I don't want to put words in your mouth, but those experiences of people, like I love that that imagery of the lady holding your hand and patting, you, you know, that's just a loving, I don't care that you're black, I don't care that you're American, I don't mm -hmm. care where mm -hmm. you're from, I don't care that you want anything in my store, mm -hmm. I love you for you, for you, you're just a human mm -hmm. being, so I love you, right? Like, that's mm -hmm. so... Yeah, like why can't we always be like that at all times? Guadalajara, Mexico. I try to tell everybody yeah. when y'all can't find me no more, just say that's it. Ray in Guadalajara. Oh man, <laughs> I love it. All right, let's keep moving forward for time's sake here. Uh, actually, one more question before we start talking about the transition after a professional track and field. You've raced against everybody. You've raced against the uh, you know good friend of mine, Justin Gatlin, Usain Bolt, uh, JD. You, you raced against everybody, Tyson, mm -hmm. Wallace. You know, if you name it in this era. You raced against them and um, Rooney Cern beat a lot everybody. of them. Yeah, literally. Well, do you have a, a favorite memory, a, a favorite race, like w whether it was one you won or you know something magical happened that means you pushed that person to do that? Is there just like a race you're like, oh man, this was for me the epitome of professional track and field. This race for me was my, you know, my hang up. It's, my, it's the photo I have hung up in my 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 room. That would be the race when Maurice Green put his shoes out. Oh, you were in that race. Come on, it's iconic. Yes. That would be it would be that race. It would be that race because um three things happened in that race. Okay. Of course, the first was Maurice put his put his shoes out. But the things that happened for me was I ended up going 10 10 2. It was wind dated, but I ran 10 2. So that was the first thing. Second thing was I got third. <laughs> which means when were two people in front of me, which was Maurice and then Doc actually edged me out. And on the other side, he went 10. I thought I had got second. The third thing that happened was it was televised. Mm -hmm. So because it was televised, everybody in Opelika, Texas, everybody everywhere saw it. Because back then, you know, Maurice was hot. Yeah. So yeah. the minute I got to my phone, like literally... I saw you on TV. Oh, you was on. And then Maurice put his shoes out. Oh, but you was right there. Like, you almost beat him. Like, God. It was that that race right there is the race that just literally is my greatest, greatest, greatest memory. Because me and Maurice had a connection because of Coach Hawk, right? So when I seen him limping, you know, doing, you know, getting ready to take his shoes off, I thought something was wrong with him. So I'm, I'm getting ready. I'm walking back <laughs> towards him like, damn, what, Mo, what's up? You, you And then here comes the fire extinguisher. That's why I tell people, like, I got mad at Mo because I caught the down wind because I was coming back towards Mo to check on him <laughs> to see what was going on. And then at this point in time, heck on Larry Wade with the damn fire extinguisher, and it went right in my face. And I was like, oh, my God, did he really just I, – I'm telling y'all, I got 38 degrees hot. When I tell y'all I got so hot, two reasons. One, that's embarrassing. Two, I thought someone was wrong with you for real. <laughs> Sadly, here's the good news, Ray. No one remembers that part. <laughs> Everybody saw it. was like, ah, did you see the shoes, though? <laughs> did you see the shoes? Did you see you put the shoes out? Like, man, listen. I, I know this. Gets it a, would definitely be that race. That race right there. I know this gets a little bit into the, you know, old man, you know, uh, back in my day, blah, blah, blah. But that era that you were in, in track and field, <laughs> it was so much fun and excitement. The HSI group going on. Listen. You got, I mean, it was JD laying on the track and the, the, the Come fake on. false Come start. On, Come on. That was amazing time 
then for sprinting specifically just for separating themselves yeah. from like just it was it was it, it was great it was it was great i'm not even gonna lie i i, I enjoyed our era that's all i say so you mentioned I, tip, I, feel, I feel like charles barkley when i be talking because i'll be like man y'all soft you know what I'm saying? <laughs> another great alabama guy come on now exactly. so you mentioned larry wade and larry's mm-hmm. a, a gill podcast alum uh and I think about him and guys like Dwayne Ross, now the head coach of mm-hmm. Tennessee, who's been on the show. And one of my favorite questions to ask is, you may not know it at the time. Now, I believe, if I remember right, Dwayne Ross actually did know this was his last race because he he took his shoes off and threw them away. Like that, he knew mm-hmm. that, that what that was the race. Sometimes we don't know our last race is our last race, though. Mm-hmm. You go all these amazing experiences, meet these amazing people doing this. I mean, it's I know it's hard work. I get it being a sprinter it's hard work professional track athlete it's hard work but at the end of the day we're running we're fat we're doing something Mm -hmm. god made us to do on earth is run and run fast right so it's fun Mm -hmm. in that sense what's it like whether you knew it was your last race or not the next day or whenever you realize maybe it was months later maybe it was a year later when you realize Mm -hmm. ah okay i'm i'm not a professional athlete anymore what do i Mm -hmm. do i'm gonna answer that three ways okay First of all, I got to give a shout out to Larry Wade because Larry Wade is the reason why I made the team in 2009. Uh Um, Larry Wade is the reason why I coach the way I coach. Larry Wade is the reason why I train the way I train. Larry, and I I told him when it, you know, when everything happens, like, I am where I'm at because of you. Because I remember Texas Relays after I had won the 100 in 2009. He was talking to me. He was like, What's the definition of insanity? And, I, and at that time, I didn't know. I was like, huh, I don't know. And then he was like, the definition of insanity is doing the, the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. And then when he said that, it stuck with me. And I was like, I know what I got to do now. And at that point, it was another Dakota moment. I was like, somebody just gave me a, a jewel. So I do want to make sure I put out there about that way. I love that guy for that. He's great. Um, Second, uh, I, I had to answer that like this here. I haven't had my last race yet. I haven't had it. Um, so I answer that. <laughs> wait, wait, are you breaking news? You're gonna start I haven't had my last race you're, yet. You're gonna, you're gonna start you're gonna start running the master circuit. That's amazing. I haven't and I didn't say I was running the masters either. I didn't say that either. All right, all right. No, don't 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 be one of them people. Don't you do it. Be one of them people be like, oh what? Okay. <laughs> wait, wait, no, no. I think I think I should tell you you can't do it. You're too old, you can't do it because right. the, you'll do it. You'll this will be the light the fire. Listen. When I tell you the reason why I had so many years was because of that somebody or something said you can't. Okay, mm-hmm, all right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, but the transition from even with if we can say like right now I haven't been running over the last three years. Mm-hmm. My transition was smooth because I set my transition up in two thousand four. Hmm. Okay, in two thousand four, I told Andy Miller. Andy Miller was you know he worked on all the athletes. I told Andy, I said Andy, when I get done. I want to be a personal trainer. I said, not only I want to be a personal trainer, I want to be one of the best there is. I want to learn everything I possibly can learn about the body. Okay. So I said, Andy, you're going to teach me. He was laughing. He was like, all right, yeah, right, whatever, you know. So he he was doing that though. He was every time he would work on me, I'd be like, so what you doing? And I would hop on things, what you doing? He would tell me what he was doing. And so what happened was anytime I anybody, whether it's USA person, somebody to track me. I would always open up and tell them, hey, I'm going to ask you questions because when I'm done running, this is what I want to do. So my entire career, all I did was it it got to a point where when I was getting injured, I was getting excited. 
because now that I'm injured, you're going to have to tell me how I got injured and you're going to have to fix it. And I'm going to learn how to fix what I just tore up. And I'm going to need this for when I get done. So from 2004 until um, 2013, when I finally decided to go ahead and do personal training, I had nine years of teaching. So like now when people are like you got a gym and all this is like, well, it's because I actually set it up in 2004. <laughs> like I didn't just wake up after training and be like, I'm going to try and be a coach now. Like, no, I was coaching in, in Kansas City at middle school in 2006. You know, like I always knew that when track is over, track is going to be over. And so you're going to have to have something else to fall back on. But that was my mom and my dad. They yeah. they drilled that in me 100 percent. You're going to have to have something to fall back on, have, have something to fall back on. And, you know, so I was like, well, shit, I, I don't I like doing this. So that was it was easy transition for me because, like I say, I set it up way before. Like I didn't wait till okay, spice is hung good. Now what? Oh no, 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 no. It got to the point to where toward the later part of my career, I wasn't competing as much when I switched to Nigeria. I wasn't competing because it was affecting my business off the track. Mm -hmm. So when I would travel, I would lose clients. Mm -hmm. So after 2013, I was like, you know what? I'm not traveling anymore. Meaning I'm only going to run one time to qualify and then one time <laughs> at the nationals and then whatever championship did three times, because I'm already, I can see I'm getting toward the end of my career in 2013. Yeah. So that's when I started doing the shift then. So I wasn't racing as much when I was in Nigeria. That's why I didn't know racing because I was building my clientele and building my gym. Do so you, do you think most athletes have that attitude or do they have the attitude of like, I'm, I'm going to be a professional the rest of my whole life. This will all this, I'm gonna call it the gravy train. This gravy train will always be going on. No, they don't have that. What, what, what they lack is what I say um, is financial literacy, mm. meaning it don't hit them that when it stops, it completely stops. Mm. It ain't no, mm. no, no, no. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, your last contract was $350,000. And in your mind, you don't ever think that you're going to spend all that money. Mm -hmm. So when you're getting your house, you're getting your cars, you're doing all this, you're you're setting up a certain lifestyle that you got to maintain. Mm -hmm. And so what ends up happening is nobody knows when that contract is going to stop. That's what gets every single track athlete because mm -hmm. they'll think, well, I got an option year, they're going to pick me back up. And when they don't, now you're screwed. Now you're out here trying to run around, find a track meet, find this, find that, trying to get, you know, um, get back into it. And then what ends up happening is now you'll get those athletes, they get mad at the shoe companies. It's like, man, you know, they dropped me now. I'm out here having to run and, and this and running that. Well, it's a business. You know, it ain't their fault. It's your fault for thinking that you couldn't be dropped. <laughs> like, I, I, so that's, I think for most track athletes, that that's what they get caught in. They get caught in that contract, not expecting to not get re-signed and then when they don't get re-signed they go out trying to get a new contract not understanding it's like well you didn't get re-signed because they already seen the value when you start to depreciate like football like anywhere else so that's that's the thing that actually does that to them. Do you think it's better now than back then because of like I think of and you know we don't get to see an athlete's total life we think we do because of social media that we know a fred Curley and a noah lyles and grant Hall. we think we know them because we see a post from them 
once mm-hmm. a week or something like that, right? But we really have no idea what they're doing behind the scenes. And, and I mean that in a good way, like what investments they're making, things like that, who are they being advised by? Um, but Fred Curley seems to have been a little bit more transparent on the personal side. You know, I, I saw he bought a ranch with land. Like he seems to, mm-hmm. like so, somewhere behind the scenes, he's setting himself up that when whenever it does finish, he, he's going to be fine. Do you think it's better now with athletes because they can... Um, communication is so much easier versus back in your day where, you know, you wanted to communicate with someone. We barely had cell phones back then. We, you know, we exactly. didn't have cell phones on then. So you, you had to really only maybe rely on mom and dad. There, there was no calling up a, Hey, Maurice, tell me what you're doing. What should I be doing? You know, it's, it was harder back mm-hmm. then. Do you think it's easier now? Or, I'm sorry. Do you think it's better now? Athletes are doing a better job of maybe setting themselves up for the future or worse now, because with social media and communication, we have comparison. So, oh, they're, they're, they're driving this. They, they bought this kind of hat. Well, I need to do that. And this, screw financial. I'll worry about 10 years from now, 10 years from now. Do you think it's better now or, or worse? Um, it's, it's definitely, you know what? I would say it's worse, okay? Um, because back in our day, as I said, most <laughs> of all the athletes, they already had positions somewhere waiting for them at a college mm. or a university that was just the normal transition it was like oh well now you know now it's more like um they i like to say track athletes don't know their worth and they feel like they're worthless and the reason why they feel like they're worthless is because they're comparing themselves to everybody else in the sport so when you start to do that then it's hard for you to think outside the sport like a Fred Curley and go and attain other things using your name. Okay. Um, prime example, like me, like I understood just that. Um, and, and I try and tell athletes all the time, you don't understand what your worth is. Stop comparing yourself to what you're worth in that sport, because I can promise you any one of you track athletes, if you go to Walmart and stand right next to the greeter, I bet you for an entire month, nobody will walk in that Walmart that can do what you can do or have done what you have done. Do you know the value of that? <laughs> like, do you get that value? You are in a point zero 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 one percentile of what you are able to do. There's value in that. The problem is because they're so competitive with each other, they don't know how to step outside of that competitive nature and then go to a stranger and say, hey, I am Monzavis Edwards. I have been in the, the world record race with Usain Bolt. I have traveled the world. To the regular person, you are an anomaly now. You are, I would love to work with you. I would love to do, I would love, of course you would, because you're one of those people that would walk in Walmart and not know. So the problem now is track athletes have so much exposure to each other, they're too busy comparing what they don't have to what the other track athletes have, not understanding. You know, Fred Curley, the minute he he won, he, he jumped off the track. He went and took all them accolades and went and made money off of them because he understood that y'all don't understand. So I'm going to teach y'all who I am so that when I teach you, you're going to want to work with me now. You're going to want to help me build this ranch. You're going to want to teach me about how to do my taxes because I just explained to you who I am. So right now, that's most of all the track athletes issues. They can't they can't get outside of that. Now, 
And I think social media is the reason why, because you're able to see more. When we was running, you couldn't see what Maurice had. You couldn't see what, but you didn't. You didn't know what they got. You didn't. You couldn't see them at all. So now it's it, it. To me, I think it's just that. Is that whole competitive nature within itself? Can you imagine HSI in the world of social media? Oh my God. Oh, I can't. Don't want to. <laughs> right. <laughs> I just thought about it. I was like, man, can you think of Come HSI? On. John Drummond, Maurice Green, right? Otto Bolden, right? Larry Wade, the way that they took shirts off and out. Man, if they had social media. We were at. No UCLA. boys had their own reality TV show right now. <laughs> I was in California working with the uh, junior, uh, the Canadian national team with uh, Britt McFarlane, and we went up to UCLA. And so I get to just sit there and watch these guys. So, you know, Maurice and Larry and uh, Otto and John are right there. I mean, they're right, right there. They're sitting in the front row uh, off of a rest from one of the recoveries. And they are just cracking up, telling jokes. Otto's talking about, I got to ask him about this one day. He was talking about something about back home, his uncle or his dad and, you know, chickens and wringing their neck. And I was just, I mean, I'm dying because, you know, these were giants to me. I mean, these were mm -hmm. This is mm -hmm. Mount Rushmore right stinking mm -hmm. there. And I'm just like, oh, my God, they're regular people. And they're hilarious, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> like, it just was, I can't imagine yep. it on, on IG. It's, I mean, come on. <laughs> that would be amazing. That's that's the multiverse I want to see. I want to see social media during HSI's time frame. Oh, man. my God. It, well, it would have been crazy. <laughs> let's talk about what probably, maybe, most people want to know more about. And you know, a couple of years ago, in fact, I went back and looked at you and I's uh, conversations uh, on Twitter and the DMs, and it was almost two years ago to the date that I reached out, which was like, hey, man, this thing that you started, like, it's cool. Like, I think that, you know, like, pour some gas on it. Like, this is going to be maybe culturally relevant. I can't imagine. It's amazing. That was two years ago, because now, you know, what Ray's take has become. Talk to us about where did the idea of race take come from how do you you're gonna love this question you know i love you so don't the tone's gonna be terrible here how do you think you had the audacity to start this because mm -hmm. there was nothing like this out mm -hmm. there T tell me about the origins of race take i didn't start it okay <laughs> it was an accident it was okay. kind of like pizza it was an accident <laughs> i was in a chat room on facebook and Shakari had just ran like the 10-7 the down there in Miramar. And I was trying to explain to somebody in the chat group about tracks. Well, me and you've had this conversation, mm -hmm. fast, slow. And I was like, damn it, I'm tired of typing. Got an idea. <laughs> so I got on YouTube and I did a video. I only did the video to post in the Facebook group because I was, I was like, damn it, let me show y'all what I'm talking about. Right. Let me just break it down to you. So I started shifting the video and explaining why and how, and I dropped it in, in the group, right? And then the next day, it was just, people were just commenting on it. You know, you know, some good, some bad. And then um, somebody was like, could you do, um, could you do Trayvon's race? Uh, shit, why not? So then I broke down his race and was like, oh, hell no, nah, that time they, you know, and so at that point, people was like, hey, man, we like these race breakdowns you're doing. So I was like, all right. So anytime I wanted to talk, instead of talking, I would go to YouTube. Make a long story short, I was in the track and field, just like real deal track and field group or whatever when I was mm -hmm. doing it. So then they blocked me one day, right? <laughs> and then they said, you can't solicit videos in the Facebook group or whatever. And I'm like, I'm not listening to videos. I'm, people ask me, and I was like, people ask me, so I just I talk a lot. Like I can't text this much. 
And so at that point, I was like, there's that thing again. So I tell you what I can't do. <laughs> I was like, okay. I tell you what, I go build my own. And here we are. <laughs> at that point, it is. You know, things evolve, right? Like, you know, we're on episode 200 and something here. What we what we were and what we started at episode one has certainly evolved to where we are at episode 200 and something, right? Not only mm-hmm. like technical, like we didn't use video when we first started. So, you know, it was just, you know, literally the very first thing exactly. we did, there was a phone between me and our first guest and we recorded. That's how the podcast started. And now we, you know, we have video and social media. We're doing live events. I mean, it evolves. What did you think as you started getting the channel up and operational and you're getting your videos up and going, you know, it's grown, it's evolved to something. It's different mm-hmm. today in 2023 than yeah. it was in 2022 and back in 2021. Completely different. Did you have an idea of where you wanted to, and, I, and I'm actually asking this as if it's finite, as if, as if it's done, it's still growing. Did you have an mm-hmm. idea of where you wanted it to go and into where, could you see today, two years ago? No, not at all, not at all, not at all, not at all, not at all. And I think the reason why race take is what it is uh, today is because of the 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 backlashes and the blockages that I got. And as as y'all have seen on this show, like the minute somebody says anything crazy to me, like you can't or try and stop me, that's when I go harder. So it was more of when I was doing it and I was doing a breakdown video because all I want to do is break down videos. Like I'm still a coach, you know, uh, so I'm like, I didn't care nothing about doing the podcast and all that, none of that. So what happened was when, you know, um, the other company, because, again, I didn't know that what I was doing, you could not do like you can't show other people's content and break it down. So when I got the YouTube strikes and everything and, you know, the flags at that point, it was like, OK, now I'm mad. Meaning that's that Ray Edwards again. Like, all right, I'm gonna show you. I ain't gonna do it this way. I'm gonna do it this way now. It's not gonna go away. And so at that point, I had to find another angle to do a whole nother avenue. Like, okay, well, I can't break down videos, but I still want to talk about it. So then I just started saying, you know, just breaking down the video without showing it. And at that point, people started talking like, you know, I asked JD come on the show one day and do a breakdown with me. So I started doing interviews of like the athletes, I mean the athletes and the coaches that I knew or whatever. And then at that point, people was like, man, can you get this person on the show? Can you get that person on the show? And I was like, cool, all right, you know. Um, but it wasn't until Tokyo when I realized that, okay, this thing is about to take off. Um, because you know, Trayvon was hot, you know, and then people were trying to figure out what was going on with Trayvon. You know, he the first round he didn't run good, second round he didn't run good, and then Trayvon gave me an exclusive hmm. um, before he went to anybody else, before he went to any. It, oh, <laughs> if you're watching on YouTube, Ray just blew up. He turned sideways. Now he's just his name. <laughs> we'll give him just a minute. There's no way he's done. We know that for a fact. <laughs> Can you still hear us? You still with us uh, audio wise? I bet you. I think he was on his phone. I think another phone call came in. It was probably JD or somebody giving him a call and maybe uh, Trayvon giving him another exclusive here. So we'll just give just a minute. We'll have Ray hop back on here. You know, it's interesting. I see a lot of myself in Ray growing up in the wiregrass without the speed, of course, unfortunately. Uh, So it's just so awesome to see, you know, kids that grow up in that type of environment and 
I don't want to say there's hopelessness, but there certainly is not hope out there, at least in our time frame. Again, things have changed with social media and communication. But, you know, we grow up thinking that this is it. This is where, you know, you're born in this town or you lived in this town. And this is as far as the town goes. You know, there is no, you know, we watch shows to see what Chicago and Atlanta and Dallas and L.A. are and their lifestyles, but they're not attainable to us. And so, you know, to hear Ray's story of a lot of, a lot of like a lot of could have been, right? He starts running fast and he could have gone to Auburn. He could have gone to Alabama and he goes to Hamilton, Alabama. Let me tell you, Bevel State Community College, small. And so to see that, you know, he can go to those areas and that there's hope that there's bigger things out there. It's quite amazing. See, I told you he wouldn't take long to yeah, get back there. All right. I figured, I, you know, I figured Trayvon was calling you for another exclusive is what I assumed <laughs> that was. Yeah. So, you're, so you were telling us about Trayvon calling you, giving you an exclusive. Yeah. So he, 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 he reached out to me. He was like, yo, I want to tell my side. I want to tell what happened. Um, but I want to give it to you first. And so at that point, I was like, oh, you know, so we did that. Uh, we did the interview when he was in Tokyo, you know, and I was here. You know, I did it on the screen and everything. That video ended up getting 5,000-something plays. And then even ESPN and um, um, NBC Olympics, they didn't use my um, video, but they used the information from the video. So people was, was telling us, like, man, they got this from your show. Mm -hmm. And so at that point, I was like, okay, this is this is real. Now, now, now it's real. So um, after that, you know, I started having, you know, the relay teams on and athletes just hitting me up like, hey, I want to come on your show and talk about it. And then it became a thing to where if you was uh, like Mary Bell, you know, and Briscoe, if you was an up and coming somebody who just hit the scene, you had to come to race tape. It was almost like your initiation. So I started getting those type of athletes that people were like, well, who is that? Who is that? So I'd reach out to them. And so they would come on the show, you know, and then um, – it became a thing to where if you came on the show, you would get a medal, which ended up happening. It was like some weird stuff. So at that point, I was just like, okay, well, raise take is something. Um, but with anything there is in, I like to say, when it comes to entertainment, because what raise take is, is, I mean, you know me, raise take and Ray aren't the same people. You know, I, I mastered being an entertainer. And what comes with being an entertainer is everybody isn't going to like you. So I had to learn how to deal with that inside of Ray's take to where um, I'll say that's when I knew it had got to a, a, a global level. Um, and then when I started traveling to track meets, I would go to a track meet because I'm, I'm actually coaching athletes. But people would stop me and be like, hey, I just want to tell you, I like, I, I love what you're doing. I'm like, man, these folks slow. Hey, they ain't even fast. Oh, this is about my show. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I appreciate it. I, I appreciate it. So, and then um, it, it became weird because I was like, man, these people just stopped me and was asked, talking about the show. Till it got to like last year to where I couldn't even go to a track meet. To where now it's invited to track meets. It's like, hey, will you come up to this track meet? You know? Shout out to Murphy's Classic. I enjoy it. They track me to where now it's on a whole nother level to where 
I can't even be raised. Because even when I was at Murphy's Classic, you know, I'm there with my athletes. I'm trying to, you know, go to the track, get them. And every every step I take, it's somebody. And I don't not like it. Make sure I put it out there. I do not not like it. You know, I, I, I actually love it. But it's just re re remembering that race take has become like a global phenomenon to where me and Michael Johnson will be going back and forth arguing. Mm -hmm. You know, like RG3, you know, is a race take fan. You know, so it's just, it's crazy that it's became this popular, I'd say. Yeah, I think... You know, one of the things that you have, you have many things going for you, but to me, and you know, I, I actually said this in our pre-interview, right? Like I believe in authenticity and that's something that you obviously can't fake because it's, it's in the very definition of authenticity, right? So you have a lot of authenticity with your background, not only your background, obviously in the sprinting world and, and coaching world and understanding what an athlete is going through, through their transitions of their actual races, mm -hmm. but where you came from as well. It's not like you came from uh, uh, an area where you had everything given to you. So, you know, maybe you already had camera and, and things like that um, equipment. You had to like start with your phone and you had to, you know, build up to where you are now with, you know, professional mics and, and, uh, and cameras and things like that. So I think there's a lot of authenticity. So like, it doesn't, surprise it on one hand it surprised me like a Trayvon would want to give you the exclusive and, and what I mean by that is because you know he, he's a big enough name he could call you would hope that he could call NBC Olympics and say hey mm -hmm. uh, I want to tell my story and you know you're NBC Olympics so and I'm Trayvon so you would you, you would listen to it. they would take that phone call right it doesn't surprise me that he called you because it's like oh you know what this guy's me <laughs> you know this guy he, he he came from where I came from he's done what I've done he's tried to achieve the things that I've tried to achieve uh like I think I can have an actual real conversation for someone who might actually understand me versus some mm -hmm. reporter who may know track and field real well and know stats and all that mm -hmm. but doesn't know what it's like to actually be in the blocks with this gold medalist next to you this world record next to you uh and have the mm -hmm. uh, stress and pressure that's on you so I I think that authenticity not only helps you with your guest, I think that's what actually comes through the screen. I think that's why people come and watch. It's like, oh, like this guy isn't going to give me the fluff and puff. He's going to give me the real, what he actually thinks on there, whether it's a good, whether I agree with it or not agree with it, he's going to, he's going to tell it to me <laughs> and you mm -hmm. surround yourself. Now, what, what I love about your show is the uniqueness of it in regards to you have several different formats, right? So you've had uh, race breakdowns. That's, that's a, that's a format in its own. You've mm -hmm. had one-on-one -on -one interviews. That's that's like we do here. That's a format of its own. And lately, <coughs> excuse me, lately you've had more of a um, like an around the horn. Um, mm -hmm. I can't think of. I don't watch ESPN. So, uh, mm -hmm. but, but these you know these group shows you've had you know Lamont uh, Johnson on there, podcast alum uh, Anson on there. He's awesome. I love him. Um, uh, the, uh, many other people. Uh, there's too many to name. Um, so you have kind of this like group dynamic format as well. Do, do you have a favorite out, out of these different types of formats? No, not at all. I don't at all. I enjoy every last one of them equally um, because like you said, they're, they're different formats. So they give something different, you know, every time I do, you know, I, I do any of that. Um, I'll say... All of them are just as equally fun. I think when I do the around the horn, it's the most entertaining because it's um it's allowing different views versus mm -hmm. people just hear what I think. Like, well, this is what I think, this is what I think, you know, it's this is what I think, this is what he thinks, this is what they think. And the the thing about it is, uh, I'm a huge, 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 huge first take fan. Mm -hmm. Like when I say huge, like uh, I've been watching first take since it was Stephen A. 
and and freaking um what's his name in the beginning mm -hmm. so and throughout my career or whatever and like even like now i don't watch tv a lot of people don't know that like i i read a lot i don't watch tv i watch documentaries of anything i don't know i don't let i don't watch anything that can control what i think mm -hmm. put it that way so all i ever watch is espn so when i created Ray's take it was like I've been watching these shows around the horn, mm -hmm. everything for like years. So when I asked uh, Lamont to be on a show for one on one, it was just like an instant hit or whatever. And then when I did Anston's show, you know, we was going back and forth. So I was like, you know what? I was actually watching uh, around the horn one day and I was like, I would love to do that. Mm -hmm. And then somebody introduced StreamYard to me. And then once it when StreamYard introduced to me to where that you could have multiple people on the screen, I was like, that's it, round the horn. Mm -hmm. Let's do that now. And I think for as far as for I hate to call it fans, but from a fan base, I think that is what they love more than anything. Mm -hmm. You have the 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 group that like the breakdowns, you have the group that like the one-on-one, but when we do the around the horn format, it's like everybody is just watching, watching, watching. I mean, that's why, you know, we had to go over to Patreon, of course, um, because of that. Like, it was just getting out of hand. And what I mean by out of hand, it was like the thing that somebody on my team had to help me understand was, Ray, you have 7,000 subscribers, okay? Most of your lives, you're going to have well, I was having at least 1,200, 1,300 people watching live. Mm -hmm. By the next day, it'll be three or 4,000. By the end of the week, I'm at 5,000. Now, keeping in mind, you only got 7,000. And the way they explained it to me was track and field is not a big sport. So you can't compare your numbers to a, another podcast that's an NFL podcast mm -hmm. or that's a basketball podcast. You're reaching, without you knowing it, you're reaching about 70% of that entire sport. And so once I started traveling, like being in Puerto Rico with Paul and stuff like that, it started making sense. Like everywhere I went, they already knew or they knew about the show. So it's like this shit has gotten way out of hand to where people was 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 forgetting that it was a show and was taking it too serious and taking a lot of stuff that we were saying, you know, to to, to different extremes to where it's like. We're actually trying to give y'all what y'all want, okay? And we're trying to do it in the same fashion of, hey, RG3 is a race take fan. Emmanuel Ocho is a race take fan. These people started talking about track and field more. So what 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 we're doing and what I'm creating is helping the sport versus y'all thinking I'm hurting it or we're hurting it because, well, like you say, well, you talked about the relay stuff. Yeah, because guess what? If you watch ESPN, that's what they could be talking about. So for me, it's always like an interviewing process. It's like, no, no, when we do this, we're doing it hoping that a RG3 comes across it. We're doing it now that we have people like that that's retweeting it so that the people at ESPN can actually see it so that we can be relevant on their radar. So it's like when, when people started missing that point is when the show stopped being fun. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's like I, I told people when I moved up to Patreon, I was like last week, I was like, I'm gonna tell y'all be honest with y'all, this is the first time i I can remember doing a show and being excited to do it because race tech got so big to where there was so many people that were speaking negative or or doing this and missing the whole point of why we're doing it. 
So at that point, I was like, do you know how many times I quit? And, and that's one thing I don't do. Ray don't right. believe in quitting. Mm-hmm. I've quit that show so many times. <laughs> but it's always like Lamont and, and T and Colin, you know, like, so all of us, me, Lamont, T, Colin, we all have a private um, analyst chat group that we've had for over a year. Like all of us are in here. So, um, and we share a lot of information. Um, it's like it's like our little analyst hub. Every time I've ever wanted to quit or shut down or tear anybody, we're always in there together. Like, hey, don't let the people bother you. They're gonna do this, you know, yada yada yada. So I know for for me and for all of us, that helps us a lot because we all love track. And it's like we're not trying to tear down or destroy anybody or anything. We're giving the stuff that needs to be given, which is inside a track. Yeah, you know, the the person or the show that tries to uh, appease and or reach everybody appeases and reaches nobody. You, you know, mm-hmm. like what, one of the questions I have for you, you know, for, for us, when, when you're in a marketing aspect, whether it's a podcast, a show, a book, uh, a product, you know, we, we manufacture track equipment. So same thing for us. You always have to um, picture who your ideal client is, who your ideal customer is. Uh, so for, you know, for here at the podcast, our ideal listener for us, like if I were to paint a picture uh, and have a, like a, a poster board, like those, you know, those poster boards, like in the movie theater of the, you know, the cutout mm-hmm. of the person, if I were to have that person right here, it would be a high school or college track and field coach. It's probably male. And the only reason it's probably male is because the the profession is 85 plus percent male. Uh, it's probably white because again, the 85%, uh, that's probably too high. 65% of all high school college track coaches are white, uh, but it's a coach. That's our ideal listener. Now we have other listeners. I have parents, I have friends of, of, the, of the guest. Uh, I've got athletes, that, that listen to the show. And those are awesome. And I love you guys and gals for listening. Uh, but at the end of the day, I'm, uh, we're, we're producing content for coaches, for, for high school and college track and field coaches. <clears throat> so for you, I'm curious, who is your, who are you actually creating content for? Are you trying to create content for coaches? Are you trying to create content for fans? Are you trying to create content for athletes? And I realize you make content for all of those those three that I gave, mm-hmm. but if you were to say, I'm, oh, I'm really trying to reach one segment, who, who is that? People who are not in the sport. Oh, okay. That's, that's, that's been my dynamic. I actually put it on Facebook about, about two years ago. Mm-hmm. I said, in order for you guys to know how cool track and field is, I got to take it upon myself mm-hmm. to make you guys watch it. So my actual target audience has always been the people who are not in the sport. That's great. Again, which is why I'm unbiased, as you know, they try to say I'm biased. And again, that's why I go controversial. I do this, I do that, because these are the things that people in the regular world are accustomed to. They're accustomed to ESPN. They're accustomed to drama. So if, I, if I'm really trying to bring in the audience, and people have told me, like, Man, I didn't start watching track because I started watching your show. <laughs> like, I ain't, ain't no track for that. Like, yeah, come on in here and watch it. So my target audience was all, it was never track people. It was always people outside of the sport. Because again, I've always wanted to merge the two. So for me, it's like I tell everybody, I am trying to take track and field outside of track and field. Because again, you guys don't know your value. 
I know the value of what we have and who we are. So if I can get the rest of the world and people that matter to start to watch, i.e. like the people who don't want to be one now, if we can get that, then we can actually turn this sport around to where it, it could possibly be. It could be an MMA. It could be like tennis, but it can't be that way if you keep entertaining people in the sport. <laughs> you got to go get somebody who works at Walmart to be like, I got to go home and watch Home Depot track me, even though it's an old yeah. track but I got to go home and watch this track me because... I was watching this show on YouTube and then I just found out that these two guys, they the fastest. We want those people. We don't want our people anymore. Our people don't pay us. <laughs> like we need yeah. those people. That's a really good way of putting it. Our people don't pay us. You know, my, my encouragement to you, Ray, with the uh, people who, um, and it's easier today to be able to tell you, Ray, you stink, Ray, you're an idiot, Ray, uh, I can't believe you said this, et cetera, et cetera, is thank goodness for those people. And here's the reason I say that. Remember earlier, we talked about you can't have the good without the bad. You can't have the happy without mm -hmm. the sad. You couldn't mm -hmm. have a uh, junior national championship without having uh, being out of the sport, you know, things like mm -hmm. that. It's the same thing. You can't have fans if you don't have detractors. As much as you love, you know, I, I, it's so funny. I don't watch any basketball. But I know first take and Stephen A. Smith. It's just so it's so much out there. I don't really not, not I don't not like the guy because I don't ever listen to him. But I know he's controversial and all this kind of stuff. But mm -hmm. he but I know he has haters. Mm -hmm. I know he, I know he has that. I've seen that in social media and stuff. He has to have those to have people who think he is the greatest thing since sliced bread. You have to have those the, those peaks and those valleys to have the actual peak. So uh, when you, you know, re recently, uh, I'm going to say you took heat. And this is coming from the outside watching the social media world where, you know, basically I live uh, with the relay stuff. And I saw a lot of comments, you know, comments is where it's really at. You know, your post is great, but honestly, the comments is where you learn what's mm -hmm. going on in, in the world uh, specifically mm -hmm. in that segment. Right. And so a lot of people, you know, Hey, uh, Ray, you shouldn't have said that, you know, we got to keep, uh, keep, keep stuff in the family, you know, so the relay team, you, they were supposed to just keep it on that track for that day. Shouldn't, you know, Gabby shouldn't have made that video and, you know, carry whatever, blah, 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 blah. Right. But what you're doing in a media world, when we're filming this right now, just the other day, the Cowboys got into a fight at their training camp. Now, I don't pay attention to NFL at all, <laughs> so, but I pay attention to the internet and I saw like 10 different articles on this freaking thing. It was just a fight mm -hmm. at practice. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. you played football. I played football. There were plenty of fights in practice. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily newsworthy and certainly it should be kept in the family of like th those guys need mm -hmm. to figure this stuff out. But fandoms want to know every little thing mm -hmm. about their team. And so it was mm -hmm. a big deal. It was newsworthy. So same thing. Fandoms want to know about what's going on in the, we don't have teams, unfortunately, until we get mm -hmm. to Olympics with team USA, et cetera, but we want to know what's going on in the world. And because we have no quote unquote, traditional media covering us 24 seven, like the NFL and the NBA, mm -hmm. it's outlets like yourself uh, uh, to have the media outlet of like, let us in. I, as a track fan, I want to know that there was beef. I want to know what was going on. Mm -hmm. and, and I and honestly mm -hmm. I, I want to know because I hope they squash it and then go win the gold medal like that's what that's mm -hmm. where the stories mm -hmm. are is that they came from like oh we almost didn't have a relay because they were at each other's throat and now we won the gold medal or whatnot you know that's that's mm -hmm. where the, the story yep. comes from yep. so I, I just give you um just encouragement of like you know when you are feeling down it's easy to read those comments and it's easy to read those and have those overwhelm you versus all the positive comments 
because the mm-hmm. positive comments don't always necessarily come. It, it's it's for some reason I hate it. It's crazy. Some reason it's harder for the average person who listens to your show to reach out uh, through social media or whatnot and say, "Hey, right, great show. Hey, right, that was awesome. Hey, thanks for what you do." It's hard. I don't know why. We just don't do it. We, we think it. There are plenty of people right now that go, "Oh man, I love what Ray's doing." Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm religious. Mm-hmm. I watch it every day. I'm, I'm one of the seven thousand right now. It's about to go to seventy thousand. I'm I'm one of the originals. You know what I'm saying? But when Ray ticks me off, it's very easy to fire off. Mm-hmm. Screw mm-hmm. you. Can't believe you said that. I'll mm-hmm. never wa- I'll never watch again while they press the play button. <laughs> <laughs> I'll show you play. That's, that's the craziest part because it's like I'll have people that would do that. And then I just start asking people like, well, why are you still here? <laughs> like, like, for like, like you, 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 you've trolled to me for a month, but you're still watching. Why? And and I know you probably see me doing it on YouTube. I mean, on Twitter, I just ask people like, why? Like, why? Like, why? So you're absolutely right. Um, but before we go, I do want to make one comment though, because what you said um about Michael Parsons is Michael Parsons is the guy, the guy from the Cowboys got to fight him. Okay. Um, Draymond Green when he, he got to fight in that practice, you know they they talked about it. Those fights aren't the only fights that happened mm. in that day around the league. Mm. Fights happened everywhere, but those had to be talked about because of the level of that athlete. Mm. Okay, Michael Parsons gets to a fight, we got to talk about it. The two third string people get into a fight, oh, nobody cares about that. Shakari and Gabby are into it. We gotta talk about it. Mm-hmm. The sixth and seventh place, everybody don't care about that. So it, it, it's that part. It's not the fact that we gotta keep it in the house. It's like, no, we do. But when it's your major stars, it never stays in the house. Great it don't point. ever stay in the house. It Great can't point. stay in the house. It, it's, 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 that's media. That's just yeah. what it is. So, Great point. all know. right, we're running out of time. So I'm gonna do some rapid fire. And you're not great at rapid fire, Ray, because you like to expand. You're a natural storyteller, but we're going to put some rapid fire here. So tell me, uh, when we're recording right now, it's in August. You're listening to this probably in September and later, but it's August of 2023. Ray, uh, 7,000 followers. Uh, your format is mainly a uh, around the um, horn type of format today. Where do you see, put your crystal ball on here. Where do you see the future of Ray's talk, uh, Ray's take going? Studio. Like, around the horn, but but the around the horn effect, I don't see us changing that. I think that's here to stay. Studio like going to a mainstream, like being on yeah, a yeah, like going to mainstream studio yeah. so that it can be shot, you know, even better than what it is now. Yeah, but yeah, the around the horn that's here to stay. Like that, that's where we're at right now. Love it. What uh, tell me more about one v one? Hopefully by now someone's actually seen this. You said I think it's coming right after Worlds. Worlds is you know people are traveling to Worlds right now when we're recording. Uh, what can you tell us about one v one? What I can tell you guys about 1v1 is it's going to be an entire league outside of track and field. And I'll keep it short. Track and field is just a piece of 1v1. If you can picture the Olympic Games and you can picture all the the different sports from Olympic Games, and instead of it being a bunch of people, countries versus countries, it's just one person versus one person. You got 60 seconds to get this match over with whether it's fencing or whatever whether it's the fastest climber the fastest whatever it's all built to do this it's built for you to be it's built like a tiktok style mm. you watch it on your phone it's over with that's for the fans start parts of it from the other side of it is it gives an avenue at least in track and field for track athletes to actually make some money because the races that that 
I'll be putting on um, with their help. Like I told them, we cannot pay a single athlete for a single race less than what they would make for three years out of a contract. Wow. That was our standard. The standard is what they give most athletes for a three-year deal, you get that in one track meet, in one race. Do you need alternates? Now I want to know. <laughs> oh, and, and and I watch this. It's not it's it's not part of track and field. It's his own league, which means the average Joe can be at home on the couch and say, you know what, I want to go train. Twenty seven years old, what I want to go train and go for one v one. Come on, which in track and field you cannot do. You got to go through the ranks. <laughs> like uh, you can't get in track meet. You can be a complete stranger and then go to a, a, a local high school, time yourself, submit and say, I want a shot at the, at the races. All right, well, come on. Love it. That's, <laughs> so cool. that's the beauty of it. Like, yeah. it's a whole new league. I love it. All right, last two questions. Uh, as we stand here right now recording, um, world championships have not happened. When you're listening, it has happened. So I'm going to put Ray on the spot. I'm not going to add, you did a prediction show. By the way, uh, we need to go to Ray's Take on YouTube, Ray's Take on Twitter. I don't know. Do you do IG? I'm not big on IG, so I don't really mess around. Yeah, yeah. yeah they need to go everywhere. Ray's right, Take is everywhere. But Twitter for sure, Twitter, uh, YouTube for sure. Uh, check out the Patreon account. I've never seen a Patreon this inexpensive for the amount of value. Three bucks a month. So like in, in Starbucks <laughs> yeah, world, it's like half a coffee, I think, a month uh, with great content. So go check them out at Patreon. That was the uh, lowest they would let me do too. That's the beautiful thing. That's awesome. I love it. I love it. Okay, so I want you to give us a world championships prediction, but you get to make the prediction. The the, the, the question is, what is going to be the craziest thing that happens? Like when we're listening Lamar to- Lamar Marcel's going to win. Now, you said that the other day, but I thought you were kind of kidding around. You didn't get reeled into that video that he showed where he hawked down some guy like me on the track. Nah, nah, nah. My vision, my vision goes a whole lot deeper than that. And I'll tell you, the one thing that a lot of us do in track and field is you're only as good as your last race. Yep. Which is not true. That's mm -hmm. the that's the dumbest thing ever. Like, no, I'm not. <laughs> like, well, he didn't show up. He didn't I I take everything into accountability when I make a decision. I don't just jump off the wheel and be like, well, he just no, no, no. I take everything to accountability. When did you start? When was you peaking? When did you get hurt? How many races have you ran? What I, I literally take it like a real analyst. I don't just, oh, well, this is what I think. It's like, no, 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 I put everything into perspective. So when I saw that video, I was like, he gonna win. Not because of the video, but because we're, we're talking about an Olympic champion who's already won. We were talking about a world champion in indoor who's already said, I can run a 60. He's just been hurt. So what you don't want me to do is see him healthy and say, oh, no, he can't win. No, he gonna win. That, he, that my thing is that video. Forget the speed. The video said I'm healthy. Hmm. So if I'm healthy, that's like a Mike Tyson, like or, 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 or Floyd Mayweather. Floyd Mayweather has been said to have the best technique there is in boxing. So if Floyd gets beat up and he comes back healthy, I'm going with Floyd. That dude's mechanics is amazing. And I know I'm going with him. Words are words, but today I just saw where in the press conference Noah said I'm running 965, and Fred said, "Well, if he's running 965, that means I'm running faster than that." Yeah. No one mentioned Lamont. I know. You're sticking with it. We're gonna know. When I'm sticking goes, with it. When this gets public, you asked me all the why. I just told y'all. Okay. Lamont Marcel Jacobs winning 100 dads. I'm sticking with it, Jack. I am not changing that up. 
last question that everybody really wants to know, Ray, is when are you going to have me back on your show again? You know what? <laughs> I got to have you on the show after pre-Fontaine. I'm going to be a pre. Are you, you're not going to be a pre, are you? No, nah, I don't want. Uh, I don't go to them track okay. meets. Uh, I try uh, not to go to them track uh, meets because I get bombarded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went to text relays and then I had to leave early. I like, I'm yeah. tired of these autographs and pictures. I gotta go. We're doing. <laughs> so, in, fa in fact, this is. Uh, I think we're pu publishing this on nine eighteen. So that means pre just got over. We're doing a live, yeah. a live uh, podcast from the pre show as well from pre Fontaine yeah. Classic. Yeah, yeah, and you know, you know why? You know why? Hmm. I want you on that show because there's like there's this theme that I have against that track. <laughs> <laughs> What you hate all the fast times that get run on it? And don't nobody want to believe it. And I'd be like, listen, it's the track, people. So when you came on the so first you know, time, I'm your equipment soon. track guy. That's right. That's right. It, it was too soon then. People, people didn't watch the show night. That's right. That's now right. it's like, come on back. Tell them what I tell them what you told me. <laughs> As always, I told you, my role is to bring value to you and your listeners. So you know anytime, brother, I'm ready for you. You guys are awesome, man. Oh yeah, we're gonna do that. And Lamont and Fraser, they definitely gonna love to have you on the show. So market, you on you on the Prefontaine. I love the it. Prefontaine prediction show. You are on that show. <laughs> I love it. I'm there for you. Tell everybody track again. <laughs> All right. Well, so it's weird in podcast world. We're talking about future stuff that probably already happened by the time you're listening to it. Uh, but he's on wax, man. He said Jacobs is winning. Uh, I'm going to go tweet to Fred and Noah right now and let them know because uh, we got to get it going. And you were here again, man. Thank you, Ray, so much, man. Um, you, you know, I, I know appreciate how, you, brother. I, I know how busy you are. So anytime someone can sit down with me uh, here on the Gale Athletics Track and Field Connections podcast and spend time, man, uh, I'm, I'm so grateful, honestly, so grateful for you. You could be, you could have made out like 10 times, 10 uh, pieces of content in the time you sat down with me here, man. So uh, just so grateful for you. And I knew this would be a lot of fun and it brings back a lot, bring back a lot of memories from Opelika and you fall in Dothan, man. It's just, um, it's a, it's a special place. And, uh, and I'm glad to be able to, to share your story with our listeners this week. I appreciate that, brother. I appreciate you for having me. I appreciate Always. you for having me. It was the one show that I was geared up for. I was a whole week early. Like, what time we started? That's right. Oh, oh. <laughs> I was driving a vacation. I was like, Ray. I was like, I swear I said the 18th, man. I love it, though. That was that was like, that's my guy. He's ready. I love it. I love it. Uh, I hope you enjoyed listening this week, man. You know, we're continually, you know, again, we're coach focused. And so we're going to have the vast, vast majority of amazing people who choose to be track coaches around the country, around the world a lot of times. Uh, but I do like two things. I like showing off track people like Ray and his story and what he's doing inside the world of track and field and what he has done as an athlete and a coach in track and field. But also I like to, I don't want to say put on because what he, he has built all on his own. There's no, you know, Hey, because of me, he gets X, Y, and Z. I do like showing other shows that are out there. I'm so grateful for the audience that we have you listening right now. It's amazing what we've built because of you coming back every single week to listen to these amazing people. But I also like to show other forms of media out there that are great for track and field. And Ray's take is certainly one. I can't wait to do like a five-year, 10-year like recap. Like he's talking about 7,000 uh, subscribers now on YouTube. I can't wait to see what five years, 10 years, because he's going to be still building it, still doing amazing things, bringing you value. So go check him out on YouTube at Race Takes. And join us here next week. We'll do it all over again at the Guild Track and Field Connections podcast. Thanks, everybody. Have an awesome week.